Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It's Wednesday, February 12th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am here with Steve Say. Huzzah! Mr. Bob Ryer. Yep. And Miss Stephanie Cook. Hello! All right. The gang is back together. Four people in an odd podcasting situation because Steve's not sitting here with us. Yeah, I was going to say, he's not technically there he's not well he's not even he's in no way here (laughs) (laughs) well he's here in spirit my digital spirit is in the room he's here like you're here stephanie what exactly because you're not here at all um so uh today uh on on the show uh we're going to be doing obviously our books of the week and talking about some comic book sales numbers because they came out this week, uh, and our topic is going to be discussing Miss Marvel number one, uh, which obviously hit stands. What's this, this book? <laughs> yeah, hit stands this week. Little book no one's talking about. Uh, really hasn't hit anywhere. No, no one in the mainstream is talking about it at all. It's not like I was on national news about it. It's true. It's no. true. Um, it's not a thing. It's not a thing at all. Um, no. We are going to be talking about it as our topic of the week. We're going to re- review the book, um, talk about, you know, Maybe the implications, how we felt about it as a spinoff of, of Captain Marvel. And we're going to be joined uh, by uh, Suzanne, who writes for our site, who did the review of uh, Miss Marvel. So she'll be joining us uh, later on in the show. But for now, let's talk a little bit about you, Stephanie. <gasps> Me? You. Oh, my gosh. You went on an adventure. I did go on an adventure. A tropical adventure. Tropically delightful adventure. <laughs> you told everyone the week before you left, guys, you won't be hearing very much from me. I'm not going to be tweeting. I'm not going to be on I, social media. I was told that there was no Wi-Fi at my resort. And then you tweeted more than I think I've ever seen you tweet ever. And that's I saying something. I was told that I wouldn't have like Wi-Fi at the resort. And to be fair, there was only like Wi-Fi in my bedroom. So like. You tweeted a lot from your bedroom then. Yes. Okay. And a hammock. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing. Was, we, I was in Belize. Yes, you were no. in Belize. We were cursing you last week on the podcast because it was like minus 600 degrees in New York. Yeah, I would like my friend, she would ask me for pictures and I would send her one. She's like, and her response wouldn't be like, oh, that's beautiful. It's so nice. She'd be like, I hope you get frostbite. Yeah. When I just, you get back. I just see your damn pictures. Like, it's like, this is a dolphin kissing a manta ray riding a <laughs> rainbow. <laughs> I took a lot of photos. In one day, I took like 800 photos. Oh, my goodness. Uh, because like, I don't know. There was just seriously so many things to see. And I didn't want to, you know, how like when you're taking pictures, you rely on like that one photo and it'll come out blurry. Mm-hmm. So I always wind up taking like 10 of like the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then next thing I knew, there was like 800 photos. That's what a photographer does. They take so, a lot of pictures of the same thing. Um, 
cool. So give us uh, give us some of the highlights of your trip, Stephanie. Well, um, I went there to get like to scuba dive. So I got my open water certification there. Um, I did like a bunch of pool stuff uh, here and got like my basic certification done. And then I just, you know, got there and did my well, I swam in the ocean to with a dive instructor to for him to be able to say, yep, she could swim in the ocean. She's legit. Um, so it was, I don't know, the whole week before I was like, oh my God, I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be in the ocean. That thing is like endless. <laughs> oh my God. And you know, so like the first couple of days you're in the water along the reef and there's like these reef walls. And then there's just like these, inc- like the invisibility is great, but then it just drops. And like, it's like looking into space. You don't know what's down there. And you're like, it's so majestic. Holy fucking shit. What's down there? Pacific Rim. <laughs> it's terrifying and like beautiful. And um, I saw like all kinds of fish and uh, sea turtles and uh, eagle rays and moray eels and stuff. Um, but I think, and like one day uh, we were swimming back to the surface and I was almost out of air at like 400 PSI left. And you're supposed to end your dive at 500 um, and so I was coming up and we stumbled into like a big group of reef sharks that were hunting. <laughs> so mm. like, that was incredible. Like those are like proper sharks. Those <laughs> things are scary and shit. <laughs> and like, I had one come within like arm's reach of me and I'm like staring at it and I'm like, Oh, this is so cool. This is so cool. And then it came like seriously within arm's reach. And then I was just like about to reach out. And then I'm like, I did like this mental equivalent of slapping myself in the face. I'm like, what are you thinking? It's a shark. Don't touch it. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, seriously, why are you so calm about this? Ugh. And there's like eight of these sharks around me. And I'm like, mm. and then like my tank, just cause like I was so light, I started going back up to the surface and then I'm like, ah, yep. I think I'm done with this. <laughs> it was really cool, but you know, they're actually dangerous. So I was like, yeah, I'll be over here in the boat, on the boat. <laughs> and um, so I saw all kinds of cool things, majestic dolphins. And then on the last day of my dive, um, I was swimming along. And there was probably a group of five or six of us plus two dive masters. So one in the front and one in the back. Um, and I, I was kind of like, normally I'm in the front because the guy is a really good spotter and He'll be like, oh, look at this fucking majestic thing. Oh, look, here's something else equally majestic. Um, and so, but I trailed behind because I was taking a bunch of pictures. And uh, um, my friend was behind me, too. And uh, he had run into me. And so I was trying to make sure that I was giving um, him some space. Because you kind of get caught up looking at the same sort of things. You'd be like, oh, look at this. Come over here. And everyone uh, gathers and looks and but it's hard because you're underwater. It's not like you're standing in one place. Um, and so I was swimming along. And, um, I felt like something brush against the back of my legs. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm in Mike's way again. Um, and his wife was like ahead. And I was like, oh, he's probably just trying to swim up to Stacy. And um, so, like, I kept feeling it. And I was like, oh, I'll swim ahead and then I'll look behind and see if he's okay. Maybe he's trying to get my attention. So... You know, I swam ahead a little bit, and then I looked behind me, and there was a shark swimming (laughs) under my, like, not even under my legs, between my legs. 
And I was like, <laughs> and like it was a nurse shark but it was like a big nurse shark and like i've only ever seen them stationary on the bottom of the ocean floor you know just they're always just so peaceful <laughs> and they're just always like resting there and i'm just like oh look that's so cool and i'll take pictures and all this stuff and this one was just like oh hello my name's shark <laughs> And it, nurse sharks aren't particularly dangerous, but when you're you turn around and you expect your friend to be there, and it turns out to be a shark instead who wants to be your friend, it's just like, oh, well, this is the ocean. That's a thing. <laughs> and my friend afterwards, he was like, I was in the back, and I saw the shark coming up to you, and I said to myself. She thinks that's me. That shark is going to run into her, and she thinks that is me. She is going to turn around, and she is going to pee herself. And he's like, I had no way to tell you. I had no way to tell you. And I just watched. I just stopped swimming, and I watched. And sure enough, that shark just came right up to you, rubbed up against the back of your legs. You turned around, and your eyes were as big as saucers. He's like, they were just big. And then the bubbles coming out of your mask, you were screaming. <laughs> he's like, he's like, the look on your face. He's like, I wish I'd had a camera to film the whole thing. <laughs> and I was like, that seems, that seems about right. <laughs> and I posted a ton of photos, which are public on Facebook if anyone wants to take a look. But the shark, uh, the, some photos of the shark are there. And I did not use a zoom on the camera at all. And that shark only got closer to me for the photos, if you've seen them. Um, like, it only got closer. So close that it was touching me. So <laughs> She wanted her close I, I decided I was supposed to have another day of diving. And it wasn't a bad experience. It was really cool. Like, I mean, it didn't bite me. It was just kind of curious. It was just shocking more than anything. But I was supposed to dive the next day. And I was kind of just like, I don't think anything can top this. I'm going to mm. go to Monkey River. I'm going to go see some monkeys tomorrow on land. <laughs> Steph, I have a question for you about diving. Yeah. Uh, how does the mouthpiece work exactly? Because I've seen it in films. And I don't know that I can trust them. How, how easy is it to breathe with that piece in your mouth? And how does it work? Um, it's pretty simple. Like, I mean, the, you, you have two uh, mouthpieces. So like one's an alternate and one's your like regulator, like your regular one. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like you breathe through it, just kind of like if you'd had a stuffy nose or something, you know, you'd breathe, you breathe in and you breathe out through it. Like, um, it, it's, I, it's really simple and straightforward once you kind of do it. Like it seems unnatural at first, but then, I mean, if you try and breathe in with the mask, you won't breathe in water, uh, like, um, because the mask, it'll just like suck in the mask to your face more. So like it won't kind of be detrimental unless you have water in your mask already. But I mean, it's kind of hard to explain unless you kind of do it. But if you've ever thought about doing it, Steve, like I highly recommend it. I didn't know what to expect, honestly, and I'd never had a desire to do scuba diving. And then it kind of the opportunity, you know, came up for me and it was incredible. Like yeah. underwater, the coral reefs, it's just a whole new world 
cue Aladdin music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the closest I ever got to, to doing anything like that was I went snorkeling in uh, Puerto Rico for a snorkeling. couple of hours. Snorkeling was really cool. I did snorkeling for a day, and I saw like a bunch of nurse sharks that were on the bottom of the ocean. And Where they some belong. Sea turtles. <laughs> yeah, and a bunch of sea turtles and like some stingrays and stuff. And that was phenomenal. Afterwards, I learned like the sea turtle just came up to me and let me like pet it. And somebody was like, I told them, and they were like, Staff. And I was like, What? They're like, They're really aggressive. You're not supposed to touch them. And I'm like, Did I miss that part of the briefing? Oh, whoopsies. Whoopsies Whoopsie daisies. Whoopsie daisies. Well, it didn't bite me. Um, Maybe you have like, Aquaman like powers or something. You're, you're you making them calm. You don't even understand. All these like sea creatures kept on coming up to me and like they're like the. It was just. I was, no. You're the new Ariel. It was majestic. That's what it is. It was majestic and yet kind of like, okay, go bother someone else now, shark. Okay. Stephanie, Stephanie's the real life Mera. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for real, like, they're just the underwater. It, it's seriously like looking at a city. You can see the hustle and bustle of like, there's like little pathways and streets and stuff and the fish come and go and there's little groups of, it's just phenomenal and it's so quiet like it's incredible i highly 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 recommend it if anyone has ever thought of doing it well we all it's... know it's better down where it's wetter stephanie so but it was it was phenomenal i got to go like and then i saw a bunch of like howler monkeys and stuff above land and some crocodiles Ooh. <laughs> So that was cool. And I had this crazy instructor, not a guide that had this crazy machete and he would just swing it around and chop things. And I was like, "Ah, I'm going (laughs) to stay back from you. (laughs) Well, awesome. Awesome. Sounds like you had a great time in Belize. It was majestic as heck. Fantastic. Now you're back (laughs) in cold, cold Canada and you're here talking about comic books with us again. So I am. Life is back to normal. Um, Yeah. Speaking of comic books, we have a little bit of news to talk about. We're not going to spend too much time on it. First thing I want to talk about, really quick, just saw this on Twitter that Jeff Johns just tweeted it. Uh, John Wesley Shipp, who was the original, who he played Flash, Flash in 1990, is been cast in the, the new Flash show hmm. uh, in, a, in a mysterious role. So we don't know who it is yet. Someone said, oh. please, 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 let it be Jay Garrett. Of course. It's, yeah. It has to be that. <laughs> who obviously is the, the, uh, the, the golden age Flash. Um, but just wanted to share it because it's it's pretty cool news. Uh, uh, Jeff Johns tweeted it with the hashtag Life Complete. <laughs> John Wesley Ship is in the new uh, Flash show. Had a great superhero face. Had that chin. He does. He looks like a superhero. Line, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's go into some quick uh, comic book sales figures. Um, January was a little bit of a slow month in, in the comic book world. Only one book broke the hundred thousand. Mark, and that was Batman number 27 at 115,000 units. It seems like as, you know, the the the, the 1 through 10 will often shift and, and books will hit over 100,000. Sometimes it'll beat them. It seems like Batman stays at 115,000 every single month, um, really since it, it leveled, it, got, it found its level. So it's pretty impressive. And, uh, number two, Detective Comics, number 27. So Batman taking up the first two spots. Uh, 88,000 uh, units at $8 a pop. Uh, number three, uh, Avengers World, number one at 86,000. Uh, and then Justice League at 84. 
Superior Spider-Man at 77, All-New X-Men at 76, um, Superior Spider-Man uh, number 26 at 72,000, Hartley Quinn number 2 at 66,000, Avengers number 9 at 65,000, and Justice League of America at 65,000. So lots of X-Men and Batman and Justice yeah. League and Avengers in the, in the, in the top, as, as you would expect, um, with Harley Quinn kind of being the, the one outlier there as far as the, the general mm-hmm. tone and tenor of those other um, top 10. I mean, both issues of The Walking Dead that came out last month came in 11 and 12 at around 65,000 each. Um, Origin 2, number 2, which is the Wolverine book, 64,000. What a drop that took. Though. Yeah, really, really, really big drop. I think yeah, it was in the... 51%. 51%, right? Yeah. Really big drop for that one. Um, and the rest are kind of... I want to go over some of the new books that, that premiered this uh, in January. All New Invaders ended up at a, a 55,000 for the month. Uh, Black Widow at 53,000 uh, for the month. Uh, Avengers World, the number 2 book, with 2 came out in the month, it dropped to 53,000, the second one. Um... Miracle Man, 52,000, which is a very, very good number for mm-hmm. a reprint of, of a book. Um, Night of Living Deadpool at 47,000. Um, the new Serenity book also at 47,000. That's a nice number. Yeah, it's yeah. a very nice number. All new X Factor at 45,000. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to see if there's any other ones that I'm looking for here that are, that are in the new books. Um, nothing else in the top. 50 uh, of the new books. Deadly Class, a new number one from Image, which we talked about in the show, at 34,000. Um, and the all-new Marvel Now Point One actually had 32,000 as well. Um, so there you go. That, that's a lot of the, the major stuff that, that came out. Um, so, uh, Bob, do you have anything you want to say about the numbers? Yeah, you Stephanie, you, you definitely, definitely didn't do your job this month because Fable sold 48 less copies this month than it did the month before. So you, this, uh, these vacations have just got to stop. Oh, no. <laughs> 48 Failed. copies. But, I mean, maybe those 48 people decided to pick up the new episode of The Wolf Among Us yeah, the new video that game. came out. Yes. That could be. Yeah. Or they're, they're trade waiting after 137 issues. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I, I also just, sorry, I know, Bobby, you were going to speak up about this, but can I quickly mention the digital, like the comicsology? Yeah, definitely. 10? I definitely want to do that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if this is like, like for the week, for the month or for whatever, but they're kind of interesting. Like the number one is forever evil. Number five, the number two is Miss Marvel. Number one, again, what's that book? And why are people talking <laughs> mm-hmm. about it? Uh, number three is X-Men season one. Mm-hmm. I guess the trade. Um, number four is earth two, number 20. And then number five is like Hawkeye 11. And then six is Hawkeye nine. Seven is Hawkeye six. Eight is Hawkeye 10 and nine is Hawkeye eight. Yeah. They had a 99 cent sale. Yeah. They had a 99 cent sale over the weekend. Okay. (laughs) And then 10 is like new Avengers number 14. Yeah. Um, lots of Marvel. Yeah. I wish that in comicsology we could see kind of monthly totals and and stuff like that. Cause obviously the cool thing about comicsology obviously is we're getting, we're getting moment to moment updates on what's popular. Um, and obviously Miss Marvel has been up there a bunch. Forever evil has been up there a bunch. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting to to see. I mean, what you really have to do is go week by week and just, just track it yourself and and then, you know, see and kind of label it at the end of, of the month. But, you know, obviously a down month uh, for comic book sales. Bob, I know you probably had more to say. Oh, it... sure. Go, go for Keep going. No, 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 but no, actually, the, yeah, down 519000 from December. Yeah. And down 219000 from last January. Mm-hmm. Now, is it event fatigue or just 
too many expensive books that then took some of the units out. I mean, obviously, if you're buying an $8 detective book, yeah, a couple of other books went by the wayside. Yeah, I mean, as you can see, too, as well, though, in, in this list, you don't see... Um, we have we have Forever Evil did not, I guess, publish a book in January, mm-hmm. so that's that's a big seller that that it's that's off the table. Um, no, just Avengers book. Oh, there was one Avengers book. Usually, there's two, so that's something that doesn't that that's a little bit different. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I then so I think that's part of the reason, but also I I think you're right. I think January. I mean, we'll see what happens next month. This is just a one month kind of anomaly, and then next month everything starts to pick back up. Maybe it's just kind of winter malaise and. and and fatigue, and, and the lull between things that are happening, big things yeah. that are happening. Uh, then there, there are some big drops. Uh, you, we were talking about Matt Fraction a second ago. Inhumanity 2 mm-hmm. sold 31,000 copies. That was a drop of 59%. Wow. Between, look, there was an extra, what, six weeks in between mm-hmm. when it should have. And the, the news came out in between that he was then not continuing. Right, and you yeah. wonder how many people just oh well, I don't even care now, mm-hmm. as we were postulating when it, the news broke in the first place. So, yeah. you know, there if there are a few of those, there were some double dips. You know, Harley Quinn only dropped thirty, mm-hmm. but thirty percent when it started at ninety two or whatever it was. That's a chunk of change. It is, it is, and oh, obviously only kind of sticking around the top ten because we're having a, a, a down month here. If, mm-hmm. if if they were bigger months, it probably would have been pushed out, but. We will have to see. Obviously, I I, I want to keep including these comicsology numbers in there because I think they're they're important. You look at something like Injustice Year Two, which its its print issue came out and sold twenty four thousand copies, which is more than a lot of of, yeah. of other books. Um, obviously, also does huge huge numbers online. It's one of the most talked about books on, on Twitter, on Facebook, on all the social networks all of the time. So um, there's obviously other metrics to, to consider here, but interesting, just interesting in the fact that they're the the top probably fifteen books, uh, you know, other than Guardians of the Galaxy, which I guess you expect it now because it's been there since it came back, are, is all exactly what you'd expect mm-hmm. to, to be in, in the top fifteen. Not a lot of um, uh, big you know surprises or, or things yeah. that kind of jolt to the top. Um, obviously, we'll probably get that as we go along. Marvel is you know is re- doing the rebranding of a lot of their books and relaunching some new books, so we'll see what happens with that stuff. And DC is going to be wrapping up their Forever Evil soon, so. Should be big numbers there, but interesting to see how those things shake out as we go along. Guardian had a nice uptick. Yeah. 14% just on anticipation for the movie, we mm-hmm. have to assume. Maybe, and it's also, I think it was the Point Now issue, so I think that it had a, a uh, new yeah. branding on it, so people might have picked it up because of that. Um, really quick uh, in news, uh, Marvel announced uh, on, Monday on Monday that they would be doing uh, a new Deadly Hands of Kung Fu book, uh, written by Mike Benson with art by Tan Ung Hout. Um, and the, the log line reads, Hero, Teacher, Agent, Avenger. Shang-Chi has been many things, but this time, uh, Marvel Universe's most impressive hand-to-hand co- uh, combatant is only one, Vengeful. A highly trained MI6 agent has been murdered in cold blood, one with deep ties to Shang-Chi's past, and at, at, as he journeys to England to pay his respects, he'll learn not all is what it seems, and he is not. And if he's not careful, he's going to be the next body to drop. Hmm. Um I don't know too much about Shang-Chi other than what I've seen in Hickman's uh, Avengers books. I mean, uh, Bob, I don't know well, if it's... I like- know a little bit. He yeah. was... When they first introduced him in the wake of all the Kung Fu pictures that were out, and DC did Richard Diamond, uh, if I remember correctly, he was tied into Fu Manchu. He was actually the son of Fu Manchu. Okay. <laughs> and 
they don't have the license that anymore and they haven't mentioned his dad in a very long time and mm. it's now he was pretending to be that or he was some other character so you're into that sax romer thing in the 20s so more than likely the name eludes me there's a, the 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 Scotland Yard inspector who was chasing after them and his I, it's not coming <laughs> it's just not coming to me i'm sorry folks <laughs> But I guarantee you that's the deep tie somebody who's now mm-hmm. gone. I, gotcha. Good solid bet. Yeah. Um, he was really great in AVX. He's one of the highlights. Yeah, and he's been great book. in the Avenger stuff yeah. a, 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 as well. He's been a very mm-hmm. interesting character to to, to read. Um, it seems like they're bringing that side of the universe back very strongly now with Iron Fist um, and this in this character. Uh, Mike Benson, someone who's worked on, on, on Deadpool. He worked on a book called Deadpool Pulp. He wrote uh, the Luke Cage Noir book. Um, he's written some Moon Knight, you know, uh, over at Marvel as well. So uh, he's an experienced writer, and and uh, the artist is the artist who has been doing X Men Legacy um, th- for the entire mm-hmm. run with with Cy Spurrier. So uh, interesting team there, uh, to say the least. And we'll see what comes of that. And Paul Bettany is the Vision. We we know now the Vision is going to be in Avengers: Age of Ultron, and Paul Bettany will be voicing him, which by all accounts makes quite a lot of sense considering where we think the origin of Ultron is coming from. Um, but we'll talk more about that stuff as it gets more crystallized and we know. We are also heard a bunch of rumors that Miss Marvel is going to be in Avengers 2, but we, we don't know. Yeah, it's sure. Latina Review. Yeah, Latina and Review. they're sometimes right and sometimes way yes. off because then they amended their own statement to sort of say, well, Captain Marvel. Yeah, Captain Marvel, yeah. Yes. And for Age of Ultron and that uh, Paul Bettany was going to end up in the Guardians somehow. Oh, that'd be interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, but... Again, the news was not big. It was just kind of very soft this mm-hmm. week, so we don't want to spend too much time on it. Let's move to books that came out this week. Um, Steve, let, let's let's start off with you. Uh, um, we did something a little different this week. I actually asked people what their books were going to be. So, um, uh, Steve, why don't you tell me uh, about New Avengers number 14? Why don't I do that, Bobby? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's so weird not being in the room. I know, I know. All right. Um in regard to New Avengers number 14, I just wanted to say and, and share with our listeners that, I mean, the series has been has been really good, like very, very good since the beginning. But there was something about issue number 14 that really kind of reinvigorated my interest and my, my thirst for it. Uh, I think with so many Avengers books coming out that it's easy to kind of I don't know, roll, roll my eyes a little bit when another Avengers, you know, adjective Avengers title ends up on the stack. But this past issue was really awesome because it kind of reminded me as to what was going on with the like the incursions. And uh, for people that don't know, New Avengers basically deals with the Avengers in the 616 on Earth. And every... Every eight hours, there's another world that is about to collide with ours. And the Avengers have been essentially building bombs and and destroying these worlds so that that we we don't have uh, they don't impact ours and we don't get erased off of existence. And it really this past issue, it really occurred to me what's going on that I'm actually reading an Avengers book where the Avengers are, actively destroying entire worlds to save their own. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, I, that's been going on for a while, but something about the weight of that really hit me with this issue. And, and one of the things that triggered that was uh, specifically what Dr. Strange is up to these days. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, without giving too much away, New Avengers number 14 finds Doctor Strange in kind of a like a black market bazaar of demonics and witchcraft and all manners of voodoo and magic. And he's essentially looking to give up a part of himself to have the power to rip worlds apart with his bare hands. Uh, I th- believe his intentions are pure, but there's something about him that he seems a bit more power hungry. I don't know that even Dr. Strange is capable of handling that kind of power. And uh, it just put a really, really interesting spin on both his character and the events uh, transpiring in that book and really kind of cemented it as my favorite Avengers title that's going on right now. Interesting, because I was going to ask you, too, um, ab- about the momentum of the Avengers titles, because I've definitely felt, I think, since Infinity ended, um, like I was kind of losing momentum w- with, yeah. with both titles. I I think New Avengers has always been the stronger of the two mm-hmm. books and I still am enjoying the events that are going on, but mm-hmm. I feel like we have been, you know, we've now been dealing with the same events for a year now and I'm starting to lose my fire for the different ways he's showing us how these characters are kind of losing themselves. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like the pinnacle for me was that moment with black Panther when he when he decides to destroy the world and he says I'm remembering who I used to be like it's an amazing moment and then I feel like since then I've continued to see like this just decline and he does it in interesting ways like we're dealing with alternate dimensions now and there's some sort of you know other race that that that's right. that's doing something in the in the in the, in the kind of the shadows but I, I I'm losing my threads with with, with the Avengers books I'm, I'm starting to. Um, not feel as excited to pick them up every week as I had been, you know, just like four or five months ago. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we've we reached that point, I think, in the storytelling. It's been going on for a while. Things were really building up to infinity. And now that we've kind of climbed the roller coaster and threw our hands up and, you know, went down that first really big drop with the infinity event, that now we're kind of winding around and returning almost like starting the ride over again Mm -hmm. and i think that a lot of it has to do with with hickman's style of writing and the the fatigue that comes with it um i love hickman but i'll be the first to admit that i mean when i put down one of his stories or if i read a couple of them in a row you know we've talked about this before you're exhausted Mm -hmm. the the themes the the weight of everything going on, the way he writes, the, the just the not complicated nature of his storytelling, but just the the thickness of it and the the circumstances that now that we've we're done with Infinity and he's kind of revving the engine back up again, you know that you're in for another long haul before we get to the next like really big announcement. Right. Um, I really think it's a matter of us following it, or at least for me personally. Uh, it's a matter of following him from the beginning to this crescendo. And I, I almost kind of want time to to let it sit and soak in. But the, the story keeps moving. Mm. Um, I mean, New Avengers, I definitely was feeling a little bit um, fatigued by it. But like this issue restarted the fire for me. Avengers, I'm still kind of... I'm not. I'm definitely not digging uh, the new art for Hickman's Avengers proper, uh, and just the the story 
isn't necessarily uh, enthralling me just yet. Uh, the Avengers World stuff has surprised me, and I've, I've actually been a little bit more interested in that. Mm. So where last year Avengers was at the top spot, I would now actually place that in third. Mm. Uh, and the fact that there are so many Avengers titles and, you know, we are reading them all, I it's no it's no surprise to me that things are are feeling a little uh sluggish and and we're kind of I don't know just not as in there's so much going on right now in comics mm -hmm. that after you're you're coming off of this high and the, you know all these things have been revealed and we're kind of hitting not the reset button because you're you're building off of what you've already you know what Hickman's already given you I just think I know that we're in for another long haul and I'm still tired from the last trip. Right, absolutely. I mean, Bob, you have a couple pages sure. open there. I don't know if you wanted well, to say I'm anything. I'm loving the Doctor Strange stuff. Yeah, me too. It's great yes. that they finally yeah. got him in. He seems to now be poised to be a big player moving forward. I do enjoy New Avengers more than mm. the core title. What I'm finding here is just a little bit of what I felt with the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Mm -hmm. It's within those movies themselves, but you made them and they're all kind of the same. Right, yeah. And in each issue, it's been... Oh, the worlds are starting to collide, and before they collide, if we take one out, we'll be okay. Mm. But instead of showing them, it, it's almost with as with Crisis on Infinite Earths all those years ago, if every other issue is some more of this, and then we'll do this again next issue. Mm. And, and it's fun, except it's a bit too much. We could have had a montage across half an issue. Yeah. Bing, bing, bing. Let's get to the next step. How do we rebuild? What comes next? And that is coming. Yeah. And he is a long whole storyteller, but I think we've had three or four issues since that highlight you were talking about yeah. that have been sort of in the same template. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So kind of stuck in a loop a little bit. We yeah. are. There you go. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, I think the answer for me is going to be, I think I'm going, I'm actually going to probably drop Avengers. I'm not, I'm not getting Avengers world, but drop Avengers and just read new Avengers just so I'm not, feeling that fatigue from so many different mm -hmm. places, you know? Um, Steve, I was surprised when I asked for Books of the Week, and you uh, put on your list Detective uh, Comics number 28. I did. Uh, what's up with that, sir? I enjoyed the hell out of it. <laughs> uh, for all the snickering and all the laughter that we had over the Gothtopia title, which it is still a little stupid, but <laughs> the event itself, I mean, between Forever Evil and Gothtopia... I've really been enjoying some of the stuff that DC has to offer, and I, I ended up picking up Detective Comics number 27 and reading the short story that leads into the Gothtopia setup, and uh, what it did what I was hoping that it would do, where it gave me a lot more, gave me a better ground to stand on for the story and for the setup. Mm -hmm. uh, so reading that and then going into Batgirl, that was in, I, I understood Batgirl a lot better after having read uh, Detective Comics 27. So when I picked up Detective Comics 28, I was like, you know, where's this going to go? What are we going to do? And it offered a lot more information and a lot more of a plot thrust than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once the curtain was pulled back, it turned out to be something or it, it, someone who's responsible partially for the events turned out to be somebody that I love. Mm -hmm. And after I got kind of the big picture, it really psyched me out just for, just for the scope of, of this particular plot. 
mm-hmm. you know, that's being perpetrated by one of Gotham's many villains. And just the the idea of it and, and how this Gothtopia was created and what it means and how it, it came to exist that that Gotham still exists as the dingy, dirty, you know, crime-ridden place that we know of, but there's been this veil that's been cast over everyone. How did that happen? And they tell you that in Detectives number 28. And when they, like I said, blew the curtain off, I was like, wow, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I just, I, I dug it. And I, and I really dig the, the Elseworlds vibe of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you had said, it's something different and mm-hmm. it's, it's unpredictable in, in that way, because it's not something, it's not a world that we're familiar with. There's something wrong with the world that we're familiar with. Right. And I think after being three issues deep and whatever I've picked up of the event, I've invested enough of myself and found that what I've, what I've read has really entertained me. And I'm really curious to see how it wraps up. Yeah. It's, it's a cool, uh, kind of, it, it's very good, but it's a cool kind of divergence from the mainline Batman story, uh, yeah. you know, that we, we, we are so dedicated to every month. It's fun to read something that is a little bit off, uh, kilter from everything else. It's the old yeah, well, 52. I mean, it's a sunny place. Yeah. The it's sun's very, out. It's not so. But fun, once, so I mean, out. I can't say anything. <laughs> yeah. But once it was explained, or not explained entirely, but once you found out the gist of what was going on, I kind of like smacked myself in the head, and I was like, "Well, of course." Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's the it's the scope of the plot and the scope of that particular deed that really impressed me. Uh, coming from that villain, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it's a it's it's a really awesome uh, reasoning and a really. Uh, neat um kind of plot device that in the in character motivation i should say that they're using for it um but steve your actual book of the week is very um apropos for for our topic this it week it is indeed why don't you well, lay it on us um i believe stephanie will be able to chime in on this with me because i believe she actually talked about this a couple of months back but uh i'm gonna touch on it again i in with Miss Marvel, uh, number one, which which definitely would have been my number one of the week, but since our show is about that, mm-hmm. I decided to go out and see if I could find anything else by G. Willow Wilson. And uh, while watching an interview with her uh, over, I guess, last week or maybe during the week, I watched about an hour long in a Q&A with her that was absolutely just outstanding. Uh, all kinds of things about who she is. Her writing process, Miss Marvel, how it came to be, the future of the book, all kinds of really, really great information. Uh, so she mentioned a book that she had done called Air. And I said to myself, I said, wait a minute, I think I have that. So I went over to my bookcase and sure enough, I had volume one of Air. I think I probably picked it up from Rob's uh, Basement of Comic Book Wonders <laughs> at some point. And uh, had put the other issues aside and decided to to get into it. And man, it is really good. Hmm. It is really, really good. It is really interesting. Uh, just to give people a refresher on what it's about, is uh, it's about a stewardess named Blythe. She's a multilingual uh, acrophobic who, uh, for people that don't know what acrophobia is, is it's a fear of heights. So... 
very interesting to be a stewardess who's flying around the world when you have a fear of heights. I mean, it, it just... It, was it a fear of heights or is it a fear of flying? Well, acrophobic, an acrophobic is a person who has a fear of heights. I actually looked it up. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure. I knew... I thought for some reason it was flying, but... Okay. Go for it. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's cool. Uh, so she's she's this really interesting character. She's got this thing going on with her where she has these almost prophetic uh, dreams every now and again. And she meets this mysterious, suave young man who who's basically appearing in these dreams. And she winds up being pulled into a plot of sorts with him. And he's a really, really strange dude. He He's basically, he has no place of known origin. She keeps trying to ask him where he's from. And every time that she asks him, he gives a different answer or he's speaking in a different accent or even his features change just a little bit. And he seems to be like a, like a chameleon of nationality, uh, if you will. And he ends up pulling her into this ordeal revolving around a like a shadowy organization called the, I want to get this right, the Esthesian Front. Mm-hmm. And are they terrorists? Are they philanthropists? Are they creationists? Mm-hmm. Are they a we rock band? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's tons of intriguing angles to it. And it looks like the kind of story that's going to take us to like places all over the world, which I think is really fun. I mean, they, they she's a stewardess. Uh, she's brought her her elderly roommate along on the on this adventure, as well as one of her stewardess uh, guy friends, who's kind of the skeptic or the the realist who doesn't believe that anything's really happening that she's wrapped up in. And uh, by the end of the, I read the first two issues of the first trade, and by the end of those, it definitely had taken on a uh, a lost kind of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. In uh, its manner of storytelling of flashbacks and flash forwards and flashbacks and all kinds of, you know, action in the air and on the ground. And so the stewardess, her name is Blythe. She actually she gets caught up in all this mess and winds up falling for the guy. I don't want to give his name away because it's kind of part of the story. Uh, She ends up falling for him and he gets imprisoned in a place and manages to send her a letter. And she notices that the place that the, the return address is a place that doesn't exist. So she being somebody who's traveled all over the world, then decides to basically take the day off and like decipher this note that she got and finds the location of this place that doesn't exist and decides to go there. And the story takes off from there. Uh, it's really, really wild stuff. It's really, really, uh, intriguing. And the, the characters are, are filled with personality. The organization that they're kind of up against is really kind of creepy and shady and you still don't know a whole lot about them yet. So it gives them an air of mystery, uh, that's kind of, you know, pulling you further into the story. And uh, it's just, it's super cool. After having read Miss Marvel and really enjoying it, uh, I have a tendency when I really like an author's work, I'll kind of attack what they have by going around and collecting what I can, reading as much as I can. And I mean, if this is any indication as to G. Willow Wilson's other comic book work or even her novel work, 
uh, I'm just, I'm super excited to explore more of her stuff. And uh, it, I, what's up? Oh, sorry. I, I kind of like lagged there and interrupted you at the wrong spot. But um, no, I was going to say, did you, you just read the first trade of it? Like the first arc? I read the, the issues are actually quite long. They're like 30 something pages a piece. Um, I only got past the, I got to the end of the second issue, I believe. Okay. It does get a bit like, it's good. It's really good. Um, it gets stranger. I like no. them. Yeah, I know you do. Um, yeah, well, it's, I mean, it looks like it looks like it's going to call in a lot of, um, I don't, I guess, religious symbolism and maybe um, like different cultures and beliefs and, and belief structures and stuff. Maybe I, I, I mean, I'm just sort of speaking to the actual plot itself and not like the symbolism of it, but, but like, it, it just takes like some weird and probably like, I remember when I talked about it on the show, um, I think I just read either the first trade or the first couple of issues as well. And it's, it seems fairly not like super normal, but like it seems pretty <laughs> down to earth sort of. <laughs> They're in the oh, air. Boy, I'm hanging up it. on you. <laughs> Anyways, whatever. <laughs> but it, it just like, and not in a bad way. Like, I mean, I like when stories take their own kind of original twists and turns, but it does take some weird twists and turns that I definitely wouldn't have thought right. it would go to when I had read those issues. Right. Well, I mean, so. it's, def it's definitely inspired by a couple of things that seem like they would be very robust and maybe a, a little bit complicated. I mean, just on the front of the the first trade, Neil Gaiman actually gives a quote and he says, I've enjoyed air to no end. It starts off as rusty and then parachutes off into pension. So anybody that's familiar with those authors, me not being one of them, but uh, my girlfriend is, they're, they seem like they, they write some pretty heavy-duty stuff, uh, conceptually speaking. And I, I believe that there are some things that are directly pulled from their work. I know uh, Vineland was uh, a source of inspiration for the story, at least in part. And, uh, I mean, it's just it's the kind of thing that I, I went into it not knowing anything and now that I've found all these kind of offshoots of what inspired the story and what inspired the series it's made me want to branch out into other things and find like a rusty book or read Vineland as a kind of like a, a, a pairing uh with the series so I did um, manage to oh, oh go ahead sorry you can okay. finish uh, um, no, I did manage to pick up while I'm here. Uh, I went to Heroes in London and today, and I found volumes two, three, and four as well, along with Hellboy, the Midnight Circus. So uh, I will be definitely diving into this quite a bit and uh, getting these trades underneath my belt within uh, the coming week. You'll you'll have to let me know what you think. Um, along with like the weird twists and turns, and, and this isn't to dissuade you or anyone else to reading it, from reading it because it's really good and it's worth checking out. Um, but um, I felt like a little bit disappointed with the fourth trade. Like, I don't know if it got canceled or if it was limited to begin with. I'm not entirely sure. Mm -hmm. um, but like everything kind of builds up and I felt like it didn't really have much payoff. Like it just kind of ends. So like, I don't know if it got canceled or not, but, just well, there's fair a... warn I, I don't know. You'll have to give me your thoughts on it at the end of it. But I was just like, 
It was good, but I kind of was like, oh, it's over. Oh. Well, there's 25. There's there's 25 issues. I'm wondering now, now that you've said that, I wonder if they've managed to fit all of them into four trades. Because I was under the assumption that the only one that I haven't found is Volume Five. Oh no, that doesn't exist. Oh, there is no Volume Five. No, it's only up to four. Oh, so I got the whole thing today. Yeah. Score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes up to Volume Four. That's it. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, probably by the next podcast, I'll have I'll have had it read, and uh, I'll report back to everybody and let you know what uh what my final thoughts are. Not like you can text me too. <laughs> who, do, who does the know, you know, underwater swimming with sharks? <laughs> Not in Canada. <laughs> Those Canadian sharks. You do, do you know? Does the art on the book? I do. Uh, we have M. K. Perker on uh, on I guess lines and art, and we have. Chris Chukri on colors. Cool. And awesome. it is a vertigo title. And um, as, according to Stephanie's information, there are four trades. Uh, all of them are available now. And uh, it's pretty wild stuff. I mean, it's it's certainly going to, to bring about some interesting conversation and, and lead you down a couple of interesting roads. I am totally totally going to to check out some of the some of the more the novel works that help to inspire the story just because i think the the source material and the inspiration for it are really really interesting and i can't wait to finish it it looks really cool so i hope that it stays really good and i'm not disappointed uh by the way it wraps up awesome so that was air uh by g willow wilson steve also talked about detective comics number 28 and new avengers number 14 stephanie That's what i did <laughs> now we're moving on to you. Um, so talk, tell us quickly, Black Widow number three. Did you enjoy it? Did it keep up its momentum for you? Yeah, um, I, I really enjoyed the issue. I mean, again, without the story whatsoever, for me, this is 100% worth my money for the art alone. Um, Noto is just like, his art is so stylized and is so beautiful. He's absolutely perfect for Black Widow. And I love... Um, the fight scenes and you'll see like her movements you know like where she's been and I know to some degree like all comics kind of show that movement but I feel like it's kind of different the way Noto does it and you know you'll see the outline of where her leg has been in red and it's just beautiful and he could they couldn't have found a perfect a more perfect artist to do this in my opinion I mean it, it just gives the book an extra bit of flavor for me and just drives me to want to read it more you know whether it's a good story or not and spoilers it is a good story (laughs) um i really like like she just keeps making mistakes and it's it's not mistakes necessarily that can't be fixed i guess but i don't know the whole story or the whole point of it is like she's trying to you know atone for her past sins and she kind of inadvertently makes more problems for herself um, every time she seems to go out on a mission, but then also tries to correct those. And, you know, it just seems to be like she's kind of in this lost cause sort of place where she's trying to do good, but can't seem to catch a break. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is at the end of this issue too, it seems like they're tying it back into, you know, the bigger picture with her work with uh is it shield or the avengers that i think they're talking about shield at the end of it yeah 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 yeah, Yeah, okay yeah and 
um, I, I just, it keeps drawing me back in and not just at the end, the whole thing is engaging to me. The story's well written, the art's great. And I can't say enough good things about this. This is a book that, you know, is what things like Brian Wood's X-Men should have been not focusing on, you know, a female character because it's a female character. It's focusing on a human character that happens to be female mm-hmm. and she kicks ass. She does what she has to do. And she's just fucking awesome. Like mm-hmm. I, 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 it's what women in comic books should be. Awesome. This, uh, I know. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, um, what have you been thinking about some of the, the supporting cast that they're starting to, to develop here? I mean, I, I don't know if kind of that apartment building is going to turn into um, sort of a, a, a ongoing thing for her, but what did you think about the introduction of some more roots for the character there? Um, for me, they didn't feel like roots necessarily. Like, um, it kind of just felt like they were part of the story plot to kind of show her that she's not just mindless and focused on the job. Like she does notice things around her and she does have compassion for, you know, go through shit mm-hmm. like <laughs> every day. Like I think it'd be interesting if they become more uh, primary to the story. But for me, at like when I was reading it, it didn't strike me as characters that would be around all the time, just kind of uh, characters used as plot devices to kind of make her more human. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Absolutely mm-hmm. makes sense. Bob, I see you have it open in front of you. Do you want to chime in real quick? Oh, sure. I, I do agree that I think you're not going to have a Hawkeye situation or the Captain Marvel thing where all these people, you know, the crabby old lady from next door with, you know, worrying about her cat are going to show up all the time. The artwork is absolutely spectacular. The page I have open, Steph, is the helicopter crash and crocodiles and... Mm-hmm. Just yep. amazing work there. There's a fight scene where you see her hit three people at once. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing bit of action work. That you, it's something I've never seen before. But it's the still moments of just her face. Mm. Just just saying something, talking to people. It's all so natural. And I had only known Phil Noto from Ghost. Mm, and when yeah, this was announced... that's a good place to know him from. Right. But when this was announced at New York <laughs> Comic Con, they, they put a page up. And it was it, the whole audience just ooed. Mm-hmm. It was, oh, yeah, we, we have to have that. Now, I had never read any of Nathan Edmondson's stuff, mm-hmm. so I sort of had one little caveat in my head as I was reading where it was, oh, we've sort of had three of these stories in a row, mm-hmm. but what I've heard is this is how he builds to his larger arcs. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're blocks that sort of look the same but aren't exactly. Right. And they all begin to flash backwards into themselves. Mm-hmm. So now I'm really looking forward. Having heard that, it's oh I, I get that. I'm yeah. just totally on board now. That was that was some that was my only thing about this issue was that I did feel like uh, still it's the the art is amazing. The writing is very, very good as well. Um but I felt like I was seeing kind of the same thing for the third time again. And from what you're saying, what I've heard as well, you know, that it's not a, an unfamiliar device to use in in a movie, which is to establish the regular world of a character, and then when things start to change, they mean more because you've seen what what normal is supposed right. to be. It's not something that's done in comic books very often, just because of the way that they're released and and, and the manner in which they're told. Um, the thing about this book, and I, I think we'll, we'll talk about it when we talk about Miss Marvel and we talk about some other stuff, is that the 
for me anyway, one of the beauties of these books, and it's funny to say on a comic book podcast and stuff, that, and the meta, superhero books I love, is that it doesn't feel like a superhero book. You know, it 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 feels like an indie book mm-hmm. with a character that I know and and, and a universe that that I, that I that I love. And totally. that's probably my favorite part about the book is that I can forget about all of the. You know, we talked about the Avengers stuff before. I can I don't have to worry about that stuff. I just have to worry about the character, what she's going through, and, and her reality. And that's all I want to care about when I'm reading books about characters like this. And and that's what I really loved about it. Steve, you have anything you wanted to say about Black Widow? I just wanted to say uh, that it was my my it was actually my favorite issue of of the run so far. Uh, I you know I was kind of quiet when everybody was was talking Black Widow. I think I was absent for one of the times, and then the second time um, I was kind of quiet. I've been kind of, I first of all the art. There's there's so much to be said about Phil Noto's art. Um, I've seen his stuff before, but this is my first true exposure to his work. I've not read Ghost yet. Uh, his stuff is just unreal, and I I have a sneaking suspicion that he's going to be on some of the already on some of the end of the year lists when we get to them uh, for this particular title. But uh, I do agree with the idea of it of it being a bit repetitive in its delivery. But this particular issue seemed to start have a have a beginning, a middle, and an end. In out of the three, it was the one that I enjoyed the most of watching. You know, Natasha do what she does, and I love the idea of her connecting with the people and kind of looking out for uh there's a woman in her building that she she you know kind of looks she looks over a bit and i liked seeing that because so far for me i'm used to her being a little standoffish but not as cold as uh nathan edmondson is is writing her um i'm not wholly familiar with the character outside of avengers work and stuff like that but like you said, it doesn't feel like a Marvel book. It feels more like Velvet or, you know, a, a crime drama mm-hmm. uh, or a spy thriller. And now that I now that I, I've gotten that like through my head and I'm, that's what I'm prepared for when I'm reading this book, I'm really starting to slip into it more and really uh, enjoy it. And the third issue was really the point that that won me over on it. Yeah, and uh, I'm really enjoying it now. Yeah, and uh, Noto has said that his his plan is to do every single issue of the right. book. That's his plan. Yeah, his plan like is that. he does not want to. It's not a thing where he's going to do the first arc and then he's gone. He wants to do every issue. Um, so Stephanie, sticking on the Nathan Edmondson uh, train here, uh, you mentioned your email. You want to talk about about the Punisher? Yeah. So this is my first time reading the Punisher. Uh, post this, I went back and read the first issue of Greg. Rucka's run of it and I'm going to check that out a bit too to establish um, the character outside of the movies for me a bit more Mm -hmm. Um, but anyways I didn't realize that this was Edmondson as well but I knew it was uh, Mitch Durant who uh, is on the activity with Nathan Edmondson Mm -hmm. Um, and he's fantastic all right a little technical glitch there as she's wont to do uh, I think Stephanie destroyed the internet. Yeah, she was about to say the word fantastic, which every time she uses it, the <laughs> yeah. whole thing breaks. Oh, <laughs> um, no. But in in our technical disaster, uh, we uh, we decided to bring in um, Suzanne Nagda a little early. She's here to talk about Miss Marvel, number one, since she reviewed it for the site, but we wanted to bring her on while we're doing our books of the week. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Comics. 
Hey guys, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Of course, of course. Well, <laughs> when we when when we were last here and Stephanie was speaking about comics, she's about to talk about the second of the Nathan Evanson books we're going to talk about this week, which is Punisher uh, number one. Um, so, Stephanie, why don't you uh, lay it on us? Um. So, I again, this was like my introduction to the Punisher outside of the movies. Um, I don't know how much of that got picked up and dropped or whatever before I broke it. But um, Edmondson is, again, like as he was writing Black Widow, he's writing um, Punisher. And this is really both of both characters are the first time I've read them. Because, I mean, there just hasn't been like a jumping on point for me prior to this. And, I mean, I haven't really ever heard any good things about prior Black Widow stories or anything. So, anyways, whatever. So, the point is, the Punisher... Um, I didn't know that Edmondson was writing this. I was familiar that um, Mitch Gerads, who worked on um, the activity with Edmondson, was working on this. But again, anyways, so I don't really know where to begin. Like it just part of the story doesn't really focus on the Punisher. Like it, it, it kind of starts and finishes with some um, characters that I assume will become problematic in the near future. Uh, for Frank Castle. <laughs> um, so, you know, from what I've gotten out of this book so far, it's, you know, pretty standard Punisher where he goes, finds bad guys, and he punishes them. <laughs> and just that tone of voice, too. <laughs> exactly. I could play the Punisher. <laughs> oh, I'd pay to see that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you'd, you'd lunge, you'd lunge. Some, and, yeah. like, facial scruff. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Cosplay. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So, what did you end up thinking of the book, Stephanie? Um. And now back onto the the real topic. This drug. What? What? <laughs> what? What? He's looking for um the leader of this drug ring, and he's willing to bust some chops until he finds their leader. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that Punisher, anyway. he's always busting chops. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, there's this story going on with Frank where he's doing his punishing thing. But meanwhile, there's, you know, uh, Edmonston is building up the bigger story, which involves somebody trying to punish the punisher what? <laughs> what, what, what? Who, who punishes the punisher i can i can see the sign well they do answer that question which everybody kept tweeting about it they're like "Ooh, who is excited for that big reveal apparently it's a big reveal but i don't think i've read anything before with the big reveal so i had to google several things before i found out which one was the big reveal after reading it so i guess that's shocking yeah, if you know what they're talking about, <laughs> I guess. So, but anyways, so the point being is, there's a big reveal at the end. It's a big deal if that's if you know what the Punisher is, but bag. you did not know. So <laughs> I didn't. So, what did you think of the book overall? It was great. I thought it was really action packed, and um, it kind of it, it it felt like an episode of the Punisher TV series that doesn't exist. Um, you know, it just felt very cinematic in a lot of ways where it would go back and forth between, you know, sinister plots and, um, you know, what he's doing to kind of, you know, be the Punisher. Mm -hmm. 
Um, <laughs> I don't Punisher on TV. Punisher, Punisher on the biggest loser. I'd like to see. Yeah, my I had a little bit like I, I liked the issue. I thought the art. I think the art is great. Um, the Mitch Gerard's art is great. I, I had a problem with kind of the. There was sort of like a lightheartedness to it at times, which really? I just did not. I did not uh, dig. Like with the restaurant? Yeah, it was just like, hey, I killed people, man. What's up? You know, I'm the Punisher. <laughs> wow. And like, I just did not. It just, just the, the only, the Rocker run is the only run that I've ever really connected with the character with. And that's mm. because he didn't make um, the what Red. he was doing seem heroic at all, you know? And this seems like it's the the freewheeling nature of it is just not for me the Punisher that I really am looking to to read. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's just because I haven't really read it before, and like I, I do know what you mean. Like he kind of at times, you know, instead of just you know straight up punishing things, they'll be like, "Why are you doing this?" And he's like, "Because people are getting hurt." Yeah. And it's like, wow. Aw. Yeah. Do you want a kitten? <laughs> you know i just cause the character for me is hard to stomach as, as a character because all he does is kill and then and he's supposed to be sort of a good guy you know and so i feel like it takes a very certain tone with that character for me to be able you know to read it a lot of characters because yep. like, he's not deadpool you know he's not like i'm super crazy and silly and i talk to the i talk to the audience you know he's supposed to be a, a character with a lot of pathos and, and I feel like that's the only time for me that the character works. Yeah, for me too. I read The Punisher from day one mm. when it was first in Spider-Man and never felt a connection to the character at all. Right. Very much out of the vigilante, dirty Harry, Death Wish movies. And right. why didn't the other, as Greg Rucker pointed out, why didn't mm. the other heroes just take him out? Yeah. But he gave you that feeling as to why. And then by contrasting it, mm-hmm. I, I really felt for the first time that I was reading something that made sense. Yeah. So that, that's a but I think the book is well written, and I think if you're look if you have a love for that version of the character, or you just come in the character the first time and you don't maybe you there there you don't have like the I guess the core problem with the character that I have. I think it's I think it's a fun book. Um, the Punisher with kittens. I want to see no, that I don't one. know if it would be fun. Would be the word I would use. I don't know. It's pretty. But. It's pretty like. It, I don't know if it's it's not definitely not an action comedy, but it's definitely. The action is, is, is there's a lot of smirks <laughs> going on in the book. I feel like maybe like a really dark comedy. Maybe yeah, and that, that that's for me. That's kind of not what I I'm looking for. He seems to be enjoying himself. Yes, exactly. Yes, he seems to be enjoying himself. Um, <laughs> He's not a bad guy, just a bad. <laughs> Gay. <laughs> My thing about it is that, it, <laughs> yeah, like Frank right. Castle himself, he doesn't seem, at least not yet, we're not getting that tortured Frank Castle mm-hmm. that that we met. And I mean, my only exposure to the Punisher is through uh, his appearance in the Runaways and then Rucka's <laughs> run, which was outstanding. But Rucka took a very, very serious tone with it. It was very grisly and it was violent and it was dark and it was awesome. This seems to be a little bit more of the the punisher that like let's say spider-man would run into mm-hmm. and it's it's not nearly as dark as as we've been exposed to in the past but perhaps it'll get that way in time mm-hmm. um i mean for me the the issue just served to introduce the character and and very little else which is i guess fine for a number one issue i'll definitely be checking out a, a number two but uh It'll be interesting to see if that 
tone and the like you said like the smirkiness about what he does if that continues throughout even even the first you know arc so to speak yeah and look i think it's a very it's a character that's very interesting because i think that it it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people and and it's a character that i think because of the central conceit of the person appeals to some people and doesn't appeal to others Mm. so i think that if this is the Punisher that you you like, I think that you're getting a really good book because I think the book is, like I said, is a very well executed. Just for me personally, it's not the one that I was looking for. Um, Seven, eight. But you talk, we talk about the, these big two Marvel books, but you had a little bit of an under-the-radar type of book that you want to talk about for your book of the week. Who, Stephanie? Yeah, it's weird. Stephanie's talking about a book that, you know, everybody's <laughs> not talking about. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. I know. Come on. <laughs> Anyways, so I was looking through my iPad and looking at things I'd gotten and I hadn't read. I don't know why I'm talking like this. Anyways, so I was looking through things that I haven't read before. You're trying to impress across... Suzanne. Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's <laughs> Rapture back. of the Deep. I talk like this because I'm from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know what's happening right now. I don't know. It's like It's like a verbal lunge. Yes, it is. Anyway, Stephanie still got some water in her ears. <laughs> oh, so much water in my ears. <laughs> Anyways, so I picked up, well, no, I had, had picked up like a while ago, um, a copy of Mudman, Volume 1 by <laughs> Paul Grist. Mm-hmm. I read that. Who's giggling? Shut your face. I'm giggling because I didn't remember it when I saw the email. And now that you've said it again in your Stephanie-like way, I do remember it now. <laughs> How convenient. <laughs> Isn't it? It's great How for the bizarre. show. How bizarre. Children. <laughs> Come on. Book. Talk about the book, Stephanie. Let's go. He distracted me. Hey, man. Oh. Move jokes. on. Don't let him don't let him bring you down. Go. Can we mute him? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyways, so Mudman Volume 1, pretty sure this is from Image Comics. Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. It is. I think it's Image Comics. It is. Anyways, Paul Grist. And basically it's this. This is issues one through five. I don't know if there's any more than this. This came out in 2012. So the fact that there hasn't been more, to my knowledge, after that maybe isn't a good thing. I think there's only there's but, only five. I'm, look, I'm, I'm reading and only, there's only well, five. Well, this is billed as Volume 1. So, I mean, I feel like it would just be Mudman. Mm-hmm. That's it. But anyways, whatever. Maybe they planned on doing more and didn't. So, this is the story of Mudman. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, there's this guy. He's like 15 years old. Um, and him and his friend are, you know, there's this mansion, this scary mansion that was abandoned. And, um, you know, all of the town people have a story about what happened there. And they just call it, like, the Scooby House, I believe. Nobody really ventures there. Um, but they go to graffiti at, like, teenage punks do you know those whippersnappers get off my lawn anyways so wasn't for you darn kids while they're there um they stumble across some people who are also there who are not good people and (laughs) you know while one of them is the owen craig uh the main character while he's trying to run away from them across um you know these mud fields they've got everywhere i don't know if they're mud fields so much as it once used to be really oceany and now it's muddy 
Anyway, yes. <laughs> I'm just going to keep talking about the book itself. So anyways, uh, these are bad people, and he dies. Okay. And Well, you, you, it, you don't really know that he dies. It's kind of alluded to later on. And when he, you know, wakes up the next day, all of a sudden he can turn himself into mud. <laughs> you know, because, you know, in when you're thinking about superpowers and what you would want <laughs> as your superpower, obviously turning yourself into mud would be priority number one. Mm-hmm. Best superpower um, ever. So he's a kid. He wakes up with superpowers, but he's not really sure what to do with them. And um, so he doesn't really set out, like he doesn't do like a Spider-Man thing and he starts doing like vigilanteism. Um, he just kind of... You know, every time something's happening around him, he'll kind of save a girl from about to get hit by a bus. Um, he'll mud and, out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, he kind of unintentionally, you know, learns about his powers. And it's just like, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Does he, he, he scream? Does he scream, here's mud in your eye? No, mud. <laughs> no, like Johnny Storm, he yells mud pie, though. Okay, we're, we're very funny. Um, yeah. we, um, <laughs> we're, all, we're all hilarious people. Uh, 70, the book itself, is it, is it kind, of a, a kind of a classic superhero kind of coming-of-age story just in this kind of bizarre shell, or is it doing sort of, yeah. different stuff? Like, it's, the art's really interesting. I think that's what really kind of drew me into it like i like a superhero story that kind of has a different look to it and a different feel Mm. um i I think it's an interesting character and you know we see a lot of like coming of age sort of thing a lot but it was a fresh take on it and you know he doesn't really know what he's doing and he has this ominous warning from captain gull like Mm. gull girl oh boy (laughs) you love i know bird based superheroes (laughs) avian superheroes yeah you know he has this ominous warning that's like if you don't learn to control your powers those powers will learn to control you mm-hmm. so he he doesn't obviously want to go with captain gull who's questionable at best mm-hmm. um but you know does he does he not who knows <laughs> you should read it is it now is it does it it sounds like it has a sense of humor does it have a sense of humor or is it uh it does. okay it's there's a lot of banter in it between him and his friends and um it, it just feels like it's written by somebody who remembers what it's like to be a teenager. Cool. You know, like the banter is good and um, it's just full of things that young people would do, you know, like it, it just feels it, it's grounded in realism while still being a superhero story, but is fun and the art's really cool. And I just really enjoyed it. It doesn't really have like a definitive end or anything because I think it was meant to carry on, but each story kind of stands on its own a bit. So you can kind of still just read it and enjoy it for what it is. Cool. Awesome. So that is, um, that it, what, Mudman. Mudman. Volume one by Paul Grist. By Paul Grist. And the other two books you talked about were Punish number one and Black Widow number three. Um, so Bob, let's throw it over to you. Um, sure. tell me about the movement. Tell me about the latest issue of the movement. The latest issue of the movement is a crossover. Mm. And considering that the last issue of the movement sold six and a half thousand copies, right. let's hope that a oh. Batgirl crossover <laughs> to the movement will help. Uh, Barbara is pursuing a 
she'll call him a perp. He was trying to be a superhero in Gotham City and in attempting to stop a mugging and badly injuring two people. Right. So Barbara's there in the midst of the aftermath of the first story arc where we saw the police held hostage and all the, the attack then of the sort of new extra vigilante people. Is that such a word? <laughs> anyway. And so the, their headquarters, you know, their sweatshop whole thing is all destroyed and they're trying to sort that all out. And now here comes their first real superhero into town. It is a great marriage of the two styles because Gail's Batgirl is, is not quite the same as the movement, but they managed to blend in such a way that at some level, you're rooting against Barbara Gordon. It is really mm-hmm. interesting how she manages to do that. She's still acting just the way she does. And yet here in Coral City in the tweens, she's the outsider. Yeah, what I was going to ask you about that, that was the thing I was most interested in. Is she? What do you think about him kind of painting her as almost, she's the man in, yes. in, to, to them. Um, and she's such the, the vigilante and outsider when she's in Gotham. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how, how, what do you feel about, how do you feel about that, that dynamic? I found it to be one of the most brilliant pieces of writing I've read in a long time because just what you're saying, you're taking a character I love and turning it on its head, and I was stunned at how well that worked. And you can understand why from the... The movement's problem is that nothing is working in their city, and they don't need someone from... They're doing it themselves. They don't need an outsider right, to, to come in and do that for them. So you get, of course... A big battle sequence. Catharsis, who was with Nightfall before, very, very briefly, you know, they, she and Barbara have issues. Mm-hmm. And so they get at it pretty good. But then as things happen in Coral City, we have donut diplomacy. <laughs> where it's, well, what do we do now? Well, we have donuts and milkshakes. And, you know, Vengeance Moth is looking to give everyone a fruit snack. <laughs> and it just turns into this really lovely scene sitting around and Virtue and Batgirl realize they're an awful lot alike. Right. But they have they have different aims because they're in different places. Yeah. And if there's any... I, I like the fact that if there's any place worse in the DC Universe than Gotham City, it's Coral City. Yes. I, I think that's a, a fun a fun way to paint that picture. And it, it did not go... That crossover did not go the way that I expected it to. And that was the best part about it. Yeah. Oh, you got a stunning climax, interesting cliffhanger. We get a little bit of Virtue's origin mm. and how it's tied into one of the other main characters. Right, yeah. Uh, we get some of Gail's signature humor. You, you know, Mouse is looking to go out on a date mm. and needs to be, well, cleaned up, mm-hmm. obviously, since he sleeps with the rats. <laughs> Just is an amazing book that I'm sure is not long for the comics world. Probably not. But it's going to make two really great trade paperbacks that you, you could be proud to have on your shelf and always go back to. It will. Um, let's, let's, let's sandwich the good and the, the bad here. So um, a book that you were loving right uh when it launched and then were iffy on and now seem to be uh close to dropping is brian wood's x-men i think it's time for you guys to fire up the drinking game because (laughs) i am gonna say this is probably my last issue of this (laughs) so in one year bob will drop x-men i will drop yes i want 10 issues to this uh it's the the change in characters you know we lost rogue and Mm. kitty hurt this book the battle of the atom really derailed uh, the nice momentum it was having it was already starting to have issues as stephanie's pointed out it's got it gotten a little catty i guess is the word to use where the, there were not much forward momentum of the story and people bitching at each other for no particularly good reason except that was the way it was written mm. 
Because that's only what women do. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> or they stand around and talk about boys. We're into that, the whole Bechdel test. We can go down that road, mm. too. And that's here. The character that everyone generally doesn't like, I should say. That was a terrible, terrible sentence. <laughs> so can, uh, let's erase that from everyone's mind. Jubilee is the only person left to really like in this book. The rest of them, I, even Monet, who I love. Which says a lot. Mm-hmm. Hmm? Which says a lot. Because, I yeah. mean, if... Jubilee is the only one that people like. I mean, right. and, and that's this, a low standard. And in this issue, particularly, if she's the only remaining reasonable character that acts like a human being, she has 13 words in about two panels, and it's all action techno babble. Mm-hmm. Right. Fighting and doing nothing, and the plot doesn't go anywhere. And uh, yeah, it started very nicely. It has a lovely cover. It does. Fortunately, we have two artists inside who are not Terry Dodson, and mm-hmm. the whole book goes really weird when the art changes mm-hmm. that's a shame we've been seeing that a lot the last couple of weeks i feel like we've been talking about that uh, yeah. uh, more and more which is totally a shame yeah i dropped out the book as well i am not picking up the book up as well I, I don't have like the vehement feelings i think that you guys do about it but it just became the outlier in the x-men books that i was enjoying so it just got dropped um much like we were talking about earlier about the avengers stuff mm-hmm. It's just what's going. It's just what's going away for me because I'm buying a lot of them, and I have to. I have to just buy the ones that I'm really loving, so that because if I buy more than that, then the ones I love even start to get downgraded because they just I, I'm have fatigue from reading so many yeah. books. Well, for me, like this is so epically disappointing because, like, and I know I've talked about it before, but it was the standard by which they were gonna, you know, be like more female teams and stuff, and it was like the anti everything I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, they lost yeah, me guys. like with the battle of the atom thing. So I agreed. And that was five issues in or whatever it was. Yeah. And it, it instantly hurt the book and it never recovered. Yeah. Suzanne, I heard you, you were trying to chime oh, in yeah. there. Um, so for this, for this book, for me, when we lost Kitty pride and rogue, I was just like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. I didn't read Battle of the Atom because I hate massive crossovers that cost me a ton of money. Um, so <laughs> I'm like, wait. So I go back to read it, and there's no justifiable reason why these two characters left this book. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a crossover that I felt like was a bit of a mess. And now this book feels completely uneven. There's new characters that I don't really feel attached to. And I really don't like the way that... Um, I think it's Karima and Monet have been drawn. Those two characters are drawn, like, they look the same throughout (laughs) most of the books. They're not interchangeable. They're two different characters. So that's been bugging me. (laughs) So I think I'm with you. I'm going to drop this book. It's a shame. It's a shame. And, like, I know this isn't related to X-Men, but, like, I know Rogue is gone. But Rogue is dead? How was that not bigger news? And like that was like happened how many months ago? And I had to find out via Twitter on Yale Stewart's account when he's like yelling about it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Hello. Mm. Oh, wasn't it Uncanny Avengers? Yeah, that happened in Uncanny yeah. Avengers. Which spoiler? Marvel can bite me. <laughs> spoiler, guys. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm outraged. I whatever. Go for it, Steph. It's all right. Okay, so we'll move on. We we, we did our negative section. Let's let's talk about some more positive stuff from you, Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, I see you have uh, all new invaders up up there, re- ready to uh, ready to talk about. Do sure. you think it uh, 
kept its momentum after the first issue? Absolutely. And it, it opens in an interesting place. It's a flashback to just before we ended mm-hmm. the last issue, where we pick up on the Winter Soldier on a regular sort of Winter Soldier Bucky kind of mission. And all of a sudden, there are the Kree attacking him. Yeah. Turns out he gets a little bit of a brain blast and gets a memory that he doesn't remember ever having. Yeah. Contacts Captain America. They discover it all dates back to World War II. There's this mission, and it's all a little odd. Mm-hmm. It's not quite where they are. Then you pick back up in, I'm going to try to get the name of this town right because I did write it down, Blaketon, <laughs> Illinois, back where the Torch is fighting it out with Tanulf, the pursuer, who's looking for God's Whisper. Battle, you know, spoiler, does not go particularly well for our (laughs) heroes. Uh, The story by James Robinson really picked up nicely from that first issue. We now, that was a very Torch-centric issue for those people as the character that most people hadn't seen. Definitely brought you up to speed. Now starts to bring you up to speed with the whole idea of who the invaders were during the war Mm -hmm. and what was going on. So now he's putting the pieces together in a really lovely way. Cap gets a lot of nice Cap moments. Where it's their other major teammate, Prince Namer, is held captive by the Kree, who apparently are not exactly living up to their uh, treaties after the end of the Infinity event. But this could just be a rogue element, no pun intended, of the Kree now playing around here. Well, we want our power back. Mm -hmm. And so how do we work this out? This device will create a race of super beings. race of godlike creatures that we can then control and do what we need to. Well, they have Namer captive. So they, so they can get the parts of this device that was split apart in the war. Cap is going to go rescue him. He just had a fight with these people before out in space, right. and he's going back out there. <laughs> this is art by Steve Pugh, really, really nicely done. Again, we, we discussed this for the first year. Mm. Classic mm. art, action sequences, really great. But also, that's I don't want to say everyone can do action because we have some artists around who don't. Right. It's the quiet things. Mm. And it, it's getting the emotion on faces. It, it, the dark scenes of... Bucky alleyways and guns and it captures that whole spy thing but then you have the big superhero action moments here too yeah really nicely done I I had fingers crossed that this was going to work out I trusted James Robinson but it's it's a different sort of construction taking this World War II team to now and making this work and <coughs> really really hit it out of the park I think yeah I really like his Bucky a, yeah. a lot it, it's funny because I, I you know I read I read um, Black Widow and I read Miss Marvel and then I picked this up and the initial, I had initial part where I almost didn't read it because the, you know, I, I went from two books, which the art style is so specific mm. to a book that's much more traditional. And I was almost like, I don't want to look at this right now, you know, I just because it was just such a shock sure. to my vision reading them back to back. But once I kind of got into it and pushed through, I, I did really enjoy it. Um, yeah, I love his Bucky and I think his cap is interesting as well. I think it, it's going to, it's weird because his cap, it, it feels like in every book the Cap's in, he's a little bit different. And I feel like his is even different as well than the, than the other iterations of him. You know, still keeping the same Cap tenants, but a little bit... He seems a little bit more gee whiz in this yes. than, than he is in the other ones. You know, he seems... They, not that they're painting him as stupid, but they're painting him not as this like great tactician or it, it, it's almost just... Um, you know, like, like a soldier, which, right. which is what he is. Uh, we can do this. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I want to. I'm. I'm really excited to get Namor into the fray because he's one of my favorite characters, and he's been. He's obviously been away for a while, but yeah, I, I did really enjoy it. and I'm excited to see what comes next. Yeah. Is, I think. Go is ahead. Better. Oh, is it better than the first issue? Because honestly, I read the first issue and I 
I don't have these feelings you guys have about it at all whatsoever, one bit. I would say that I think that (laughs) if you didn't like the first issue, then you're probably not going to like this Mm -hmm. issue either. They're very similar. I I mean, it wasn't terrible, but I I immediately deleted issue two off of my iPad and didn't want to bother with it. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's, I mean, Um, again, it's like, it's a certain style of story. So yeah. yeah, And like, I don't know the art, the pencils were good, but the coloring was yeah, good, I was actually going to talk about that first. Sorry, I'll well. let you carry on then <laughs> from where now, I um, just... <laughs> I just, I found the opening of the book to be very dark, uh, specifically some of the pages with Bucky kind of doing his little sneak into the compound thing. You mean an actual, um, like, an actual physically dark, you know what I mean, tone-wise, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, you want to make sure. Art-wise. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm enjoying the story. I'm enjoying the writing. I'm, I'm, I like the book. I, I think it's really cool. Uh, but the art, I am I'm definitely not very happy with the art. I guess, accepting that it's kind of got an old school vibe to it, I'm just not. I'm not too hot on it, and I'm I'm curious as to what the group thinks. How long do you think this book is going to be around? I don't know how it's selling. I mean, the first issue sold pretty well. Yeah, we 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 read off there. So yeah, if it sells well, then I think it'll be around. You know, for a while. I mean, their their cutoff seems to be. <laughs> Um, around I guess twenty thousand is usually their yeah. their cutoff for a book. Right. Um, you know who knows? I mean, a book with Captain America and, and Bucky, especially mm-hmm. where we're headed right now in, into into the Winter Soldier and the movie, could get a boost. You know, and and right. and, and and stick around. Um, I think the story is solid. I, I think that yeah, yeah. I want to see where I'm, it goes. I'm wondering if it's a little too old school. Like like it's part of the reboot. It's so far the only new book that's come out to me that that has that like old school flavor to it and i'm wondering if people are gonna really pick up on that and enjoy it or if it's gonna get kind of swept to the side like mighty avengers or something like that i mean i think that it's i think what i love most about this all new marvel now stuff that's having is the the variety in in what we're getting where and i Mm -hmm. feel like the first round was very much here are, here are all the giant books and the giant characters being retooled and given to you with you know, the, you know, the artists you expect and the writers you expect, which that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's awesome. What I loved about this is that you're getting, you have a book like Black Widow that's existing alongside a book like All New Invaders, you know, that's existing alongside a book like The Punisher and so on and so forth. So hopefully I would, I would hope that there's a place for all of those books mm-hmm. in, in the market. Well, I would right. tell you that you're looking at, for the most part, a youth market. Mm-hmm. Though, you know, certainly we've heard comments from executives and and creators and pundits all over the place about who's reading books and where and why. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people who my age and just under, you know, into their 40s who have drifted away from comics. And as new books come out, they're all directed at somebody else. Well, Marvel Mighty Avengers is Mm -hmm. certainly a flashback to what the Luke Cage was from before. Right. And we're getting that vibe in this book for those people who loved either having read the reprints of these stories back from the 40s or the Invader series that Roy Thomas did in the 70s and 80s, this is maybe for us. And if I was only buying a few Marvels because the other books don't fit for me tonally, this could be something that I'll add this $3 book to my list, a book that wouldn't be for their regular audience. But these, I mean, this started, it sold in the 50s. It'll probably drop down into the 30s somewhere. If it's that 30,000 people who weren't really buying any other Marvel books, that's a nice little addition to the, the coffers for them. Mm. Cool. Um, and let's wrap it up, Bob. Um, 
Mighty Avengers, a book that you've talked about a few times that you've, you've kind of beaten the drum for, and we've talked about not liking the art. Well, you have an answer to that for well, this issue. I actually did, didn't mind the Greg you, Lund art. You but, didn't, right, but I'm right, saying everybody else, else sort of hated it. Now, so what we have here is Valerio Scheide, mm-hmm. and it has changed a lot. It is, uh, we have two different sort of segments of the book because we have two different stories going on here, and we have a sort of crime drama going on in one part of it and the rest is a very emotional normal day in the life sort of story it's the moving day for the cages they're exchanging apartments with dw griffith rather than have the baby living above the gem theater and the new headquarters of the avengers Mm. they're just going to take off so we get uh the blue marvel adam brashear and jessica describing all this he and luke having a real heart to heart the humor that, that's been the trademark of this Al Ewing story so far, Ava the, the White Tiger getting fashion tips from Luke about Tiara and yellow shirts, and <laughs> that, isn't that uh, chain a bit much? <laughs> but you're creating a family here with these people. And th- now that we're two issues out from the Inhumanity event and Infinity and everything else, the characters are all falling into place. And you, you see a team forming, a small family of folks. This is a... a if Avengers Assemble was the movie tone, this is almost, uh, this is a TV show. Mm-hmm. This is a, sort of what, if there was going to be the, if this is what those Netflix shows are going to be like, this, I'd use this as the model. Mm-hmm. There's some neat characters. Again, Blue Marvel has appeared a, a couple of times before, not a whole lot. Really a fascinating, fascinating character. You're seeing Ava. You're seeing Monica, who has a lovely moment with a little girl as they're trying to teach the new Power Man how to use his powers Mm-hmm. by the Statue of Liberty, and they, I, I will not spoil this joke, but you, people should check this mm-hmm. out. I know a lot of people were turned off by Greg Land. He's gone. Mm-hmm. Give this one a shot. If that was your your blockade to getting into this story, that's over. There's, there's no excuse for not buying Mighty Avengers. <laughs> it's just a really fun book. All right, so that's Mighty Avengers number six. Number six. Also obviously talked about The Movement and uh, All New Invaders number two. Um, so moving on to me to close things out. Um, uh, the newest issue of Forever Evil, uh, came out number five of seven, uh, Jeff Johns and David Finch, uh, on art duties. And we are picking up from where we left off, uh, last month where, um, Sinestro has made his return, uh, to earth and to the first time in the DC universe for, for a, a little while, uh, mainly because, uh, and like we're gonna deal in somewhat light spoilers, you know, for little events that happened in um, the past Forever Evils. But this is again, this is status quo stuff now. Something gets done with a, with a yellow ring on Earth, and he comes to see what the hell's going on. And he has a pretty epic fight with uh, Power Ring, um, which doesn't did not end the way I expected it to, and has uh, set up a very um, a, a mystery, not a mystery, but a. a an event that's going to happen, which I don't know how, how it's going to go down. Uh, we also, the end of the book, I think the best way to put it is the chickens are coming home to roost uh, for the crime syndicate at this point. The whole time we've known they've been fleeing from something and that something may have now caught up with them finally. Hmm. Um, I mean, I've said it a few times on the show and we've, we've talked about it a bunch of times. I think... Every moment of this has been exactly what I want an event to, to be like. Uh, the the main book itself feels very self-contained. The the tie-ins feel like great um, 
ways to expand upon what is in the books, but not not something you have to buy or something you ha- need to spend your money on if you don't feel like reading anything but um, the central title. Uh, the the role of Russells we're getting with the villains and the specific villains that are now kind of stepping up as heroes, I think it is it's just really cool to read. I think we talked about it a little bit when we were talking about Gothopia, but there's something to be said for... Um, I guess a breath of fresh air amidst the, the 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 status quo, and this this is what the, that is. Um, I think this has been amazing stuff for, for Lex. Uh, I think you know we're getting uh, great stuff for here for Catwoman a, a, as well, and obviously the crime syndicate stuff has also been has been really really solid. Um, I I I think for the first couple of issues I talked about kind of not digging the art uh, too much by David Finch and I've grown to like it a lot more. The only thing I have a problem with is I feel like a lot of his faces are are very very similar. So Black Adam kind of looks like you know um, Ultraman and stuff like that. The the kind of dark haired big guys look a lot of like and they have very different costumes on obviously, but other than that they do look very similar. Uh, however, that, that's, I mean, that's a nitpick on a book that I think is really pretty, uh, fantastic. I mean, see if I heard you give me a little, yeah. Um, do you, do you agree? Oh, hell yeah, dude. I, uh, I've really, really, really been enjoying Forever Evil. It's been, uh, probably my favorite DC event outside of any ba- of the Batman stuff since we got started with this thing. Mm-hmm. But as far as the, um, the art, yeah, I mean, he does a very, everybody's very shadowed. His line work is, is very dense mm-hmm. and uh but yeah no some of the characters do look similar but i i haven't let that uh like deter me or distract me from enjoying uh the story and i i can't believe that there's only one more left of this after feeling like it's been going on for months and months which it has that i guess next month we'll see the end of it two more two more yeah really? five of seven. Oh, yeah, I think you got two more six. no you got two more well then that's cool <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I, I've really been kind of blown away by how much I've enjoyed it, especially the Lex stuff. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I've still got my, my justice league, various titled pile to catch up on with forever <laughs> evil stuff. But as far as the main book goes, uh, I've read one through five and each issue just ups the ante. And I mean, there was something that happened in the newest issue it was pretty pretty damn significant, and I've been trying to play the guessing game ever since. <laughs> and uh, I like stuff that after I put it down, I find myself thinking about it even into the next day, and uh, you know, rolling a couple of theories off of friends and stuff. So to me, that's a good book. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So that was great. Um, uh, Green Arrow um, number twenty eight, uh, which is part three of the Outsiders War. Uh, this is Jeff Lemire uh, writing and Andrea Sorrentino on the art um you know it i i feel like when he started the his run i liked it and i was i but it didn't it didn't excite me and i feel like slowly kind of brick by brick here he's begun to rebuild uh the oliver queen mythology while still you know very much respecting and, and keeping to what, what, ha, what has come before but as a character and bobby you've tested this many times who it seems like every 10 years they decide he needs to yeah. be started again because they just can't, can't quite figure out how to make him something other than a, a, a clone of another character or of a philosophy or you know political bent because he, he's used a lot for that mm-hmm. you know obviously um and that stuff still remains here he's still a crusader for justice he still has a very um a very 
sharp idea and he's very subversive uh, in the in the actions he takes but i i feel like um the art i mean the art by andrea sorrentino is is unbelievable i mean he uses these giant kind of onomatopoeia phrases as panels you know inside the letters are, are these panels and you know it's it's just not something you see every day in a in a book like this especially not, you're not expecting it from a green arrow book which in my mind it ex- i expect very straightforward superhero you know art and this this is not uh that um you know uh as the mythology grows you know he's giving him uh i i think a foundation that at least can stick around for a while because it's built very heavily on character and 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 while retaining the idea of him being on the island and, and you know finding himself you know you've added this great gallery of villains and this um, you know, this kind of lineage of his family that has made, you know, what he's doing, you know, and how he came to being, came to do what he's doing as, um, something that's more than just a guy who wants to uh, fight crime with, with a bow and arrow. And I, I feel like that's kind of the thing that's been missing from that character when I read him before. And here it's there, it's, it's there in spades. And just like we talked about again, I'll say it for like the fourth time. Talked about in Miss Marvel. Talked about in Black Widow. When I'm reading this book, I don't feel like I'm just reading another superhero book. I don't want to be, you know, I, you know, I don't want other heroes to show up here. I want to know about Oliver Queen and what he's doing. Um, and I really feel like if this is a book that you're you kind of gave up on, or you know that you're not sure of, or even if you're a fan of the show and want more Green Arrow, I think this is a place. Start with the beginning of his run and, and kind of go forward. I think you'll you'll be very very happy with uh with what you get. Um so that's Green Arrow number number 28. Um and my book of the week is from Marvel. It is Loki Agent of Asgard number 1. Uh Al Ewing and Lee uh Garbit, I guess is is the gentleman's name. You know, I think Steve and I have talked about this um, on the show for a while now. You know, we're both huge fans of what Kieran Gillen did uh, with Loki in Journey into Mystery and then in Young Avengers. And we mm-hmm. were both, um, you know, Steve, I think Steve, more than I was, a little trepidatious about the the growing up of the character, I guess, into like a teenager. Uh, oh, I was totally trepidatious. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I think I was most uh, worried about was that this character for the first time in I guess three years would be really handled exclusively by another writer other than Kieran Gillen. But after reading Loki agent of Asgard, number one, I think those fears were pretty heavily unfounded. I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. it's a long con and we'll, we'll see what, how how it goes along. But um, I think, you know, Al Ewing really transitions the book very well uh, to himself and makes it his own, even though he still keeps the very heady ideas of identity and, you know, fate that, that Gillen, you know, used very adeptly, you know, in, in his run. Um, I think the book is funny. I think it has a really nice sense of adventure. Um, but it also deals with the deep questions that I, I was mentioning, you know, before of who we really are and how much we let expectations and what we're supposed to be play into how we behave in actual life. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, one of the coolest c- concepts of the book is that, you know, Loki basically says... I was the god of mischief, um, and then I was just upset at my brother for you know being a douche when I when he was a, a, a you know when we were kids, and I, and I came down and kind of wreaked havoc on him when he was you know when the Avengers were being formed, 
and everyone perceived me then as the god of evil, that I was evil, and a god is only what people believe him to be. So I wow, became nice. evil. Um, and I just loved that that concept. And, and the book is about redemption, about what he's trying to do. But like it's been over the past couple of years with Gillen writing it, he has to do it his way. He, he's not going to be stand-up Captain America hero. He's going to lie. He's going to cheat. He's going to do things underhandedly. But he's trying to do it for good. Um, and kind of the conceit they, that, that um, Ewing puts forward, that's the the um the i guess the nemesis for him going forward is so interesting because it's not anything i would ever have expected and i don't have any idea where it's gonna go and i will say i did really like the art um by uh lee garbett it, it was really really nice and the colors by mm-hmm. nolan woodward were also uh were also great um mm-hmm. steve i know you were trepidatious did you end up reading it i loved it okay <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I was really, really, really surprised. I My trepidation with it was more along the lines of the character design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I wasn't wholly comfortable with Loki's look. I thought the cover for the number one was not very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to the content of it, I laughed my ass off. Mm-hmm. Not only is it is it a good Loki story or or this the, a really great setup for a great Loki story, especially with the twist at the end, really interesting stuff. But uh, I mean, the stuff with with when he's when he's in Avengers Tower and he has to make his escape and he's pretty much careening through the air and floats past the the window where Black Widow and Hawkeye are having their discussion. And he just drops past him and goes, hello. I, I I heard everything. I was like, I was in the room sitting with those two characters, watching him float by that, that window. And I cracked up out loud so hard. Um, I'm really looking forward to see where it goes. My, all of my fears for it have been erased and I am super pumped for the next issue. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. All you need to know about the book is that he begins the book singing lyrics from Wicked. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's how he starts the book in the shower, singing lyrics from Wicked. Um, it's got a really great humor to it. It does, which was I was afraid of that it was going to lose that, mm. and he's managed to keep that, and and if if nothing else, kind of uh, boost it up in a way. Mm. Uh, I yeah, really really good stuff. Yeah, and that was a jumping on point for people who love Hiddleston in the movies. Could they start here? Absolutely, I think that they do a pretty good job with the the opening kind of um, uh, paragraph and the the kind of the, you know the Marvel catch up page mm-hmm. that kind of tells you what's going on with Loki. I, I think that, especially from what happened in uh, Thor: The Dark World, I think that in that movie you definitely get the sense of the character being conflicted and and wanting to be good and just not being able to be. And I think that. It's going to be a leap because he's still very much a bad guy in those movies. But if you read this description of what's going on and kind of go with it, I think that people will uh, really like it. The other thing about it is that just like the Gillen stuff, the ideas that they're putting forth about identity and kind of this Loki sort of being the way they mapped it different than the Loki. You know, they're the same person, but the way they're kind of reformed as gods, he had no chance of being a good guy when he was that Loki. So there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, vagueness when it comes to you know is there still the consciousness of that evil being around you know there's a lot of stuff like that so it's slightly confusing in its own right uh so if people need to be ready for that 
but I, I think it's a, a blast of a book. Um, so, you know, we all have been talking about all these books, and obviously uh, we haven't talked about the, the, the biggest book uh, of the week to come out. And our topic is going to be talking about Miss um, Marvel number one, and we've been running long talking about uh, all the other books. So I think I'm just we're going to skate through and go right into our topic uh, of the week right now, which is Miss <laughs> Marvel number one, and that's why we have Suzanne here because Suzanne reviewed that book for us. In fact, two weeks before the book came out, she was emailing me asking if she could <laughs> review that book. Um, so Suzanne, why don't you start out and first of all. Why were you so excited to review it, and what did you think of the book? Okay, well, there's a little bit of context I'll, I'll give you guys. Um, so I'm a Muslim convert, which there's not too many of us out there, um, and my husband is from Pakistan. Okay. So, like, this book, I was, I didn't even believe this book would be made at some <laughs> points, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. representation doesn't really happen for someone from my my background and my husband's background very much. So, you know, I think of this book as something, you know, I don't have kids, but maybe someday I could say, you know, this is actually something that represents someone from your culture who's a hero. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, for me, I, there was a lot of expectations before this book came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a little hesitant because if it was a, done poorly then it would just be another poor representation right absolutely so so anyway um i've read this and it's about a teenage girl named kamala khan and um she's from jersey which is um i I would say there's a large pakistani population there so that makes sense um and she's just kind of struggling with um kind of being a um teenager of two cultures and her parents' values versus her values and, you know, um, trying to negotiate all that in high school. Um, and then, you know, um, towards the end of this, uh, issue, she, um, kind of, her life gets a little more complicated and it looks like, um, Jersey is hit by the Terrigan Miss coming from uh, Attilan being destroyed in Infinity. Mm-hmm. And so it looks like her life is going to change a little bit um, from there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's a bit of a summary. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. And it's great because we do want to put out there what, what, the, what the book um, is for people. Now, it's very interesting. You talked about uh, you know, being uh, a Muslim convert and your, and, your, and your husband being from Pakistan. Um, we, we often talk, right? We, we talked, we have an interview going up uh, on Friday. We talked to the director of She Makes Comics, um, and she talked a lot about representation. And we talk about it a lot, right? But um, as a person who, you know, whose culture is not represented in, in, in comics really at all, you know, we talk about it as a problem. Do you, as the person in that exact situation, do you feel it as a problem? Well, I, I didn't think I really understood that. As like I was aware of representation and issues, mm-hmm. you know, in the media, and you know, I, I think I was relatively cognizant of that. But I think until you, um, you're in a situation where you don't have role models for yourself in a situation, or um, you're looking for positive 
images of people from your background and you see someone on the news doing something crazy or you see, you know, a television show that's full of stereotypes and then you're trying to explain to people, no, we're really not like that. It's a little, it gets a little dicey for Mm -hmm. someone from my background. So, right. Um, It probably helps a little bit as well that G. Willow Wilson is a Muslim convert as well, right? Like it maybe, did you know about that before you started reading it? Yeah, I'm familiar with her. She wrote a book called The Butterfly Mosque. It's an interesting, it's her like, uh, it's her life story. Um, I would definitely check it out if you're into um, just kind of, kind of a sense of where she's coming from. She spent some time in Egypt so I was already familiar with her before the book even was announced, which was pretty cool. Um, and she's very, I think she's like true to kind of the experience without being preachy, I hope. I don't know if that came off to you guys mm, as well. Yeah, I, I thought so. They're just very respectful in, in presenting the information in a very even-handed way. Yeah, I mean, what I think that with the, the one of the great things about the book um, I think it's safe to say that we all very liked, we very much liked the book. Um, uh, I, I think that one of the great things about the book is that it presents situations that are both, you know, are both foreign to a lot of people, but also very familiar, you know, because the the particulars of, you know, her father being very strict and the things she can and cannot do might not be the way that most people who are reading the book are experiencing life. But the ideas of wanting something more than you're allowed to have is a universal theme. And I think that she does a very good job of using both of those in equal measure in the book. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely, I would agree that I feel like, you know, people choosing their own path in life is something we can hopefully all relate to Mm -hmm. and feeling like stuck in a box that other people make for you um, is a challenge. I think we all go through when growing up. Um, So hopefully that's not just a Muslim experience. It's, it's a Christian experience, it's a Jewish experience, whatever. Um, so, you know, I definitely felt, I was, I was happily surprised when I read it. Um, and I liked how, like, it's not just like one type of person, the father, and I really enjoy the father character in this so far. Mm-hmm. He's like, um, he's kind of more on the liberal side of the spectrum and the, um, her, her brother Amar, is seems to be kind of pretty devout, but pretty intense about it. Um, and, and Kamala is just kind of trying to get through and be like everyone else. Um, so it shows different representations of people, um, from that background and culture. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, Bob, what did you think of the book as we go around here? I'm going to say something really bold because (laughs) you know, I'm very shy about these things. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this, this at a certain level, strikes me as the way I, I felt reading Spider-Man 50 years ago. Wow. That this is something different and transformational as a character, where you, it's someone real. The civilian people here, across 20-odd pages, were just so wonderful to read, so varied and interesting, and just what you're saying about relatable in a universal way, it's those heroes with flaws that Stan and Jack and Steve Ditko were writing then, that you, you're getting at something primal for all of us. And it's here on the page with great humor and charm and dignity. She jokes about being blonde and popular. It isn't just 
Muslim Americans, it's every other kind of American who wants to be something that they're not, as we're saying here. She wants a, a life that's hers and not it's been presented to her in a way that she says, well, you know, I'm from Jersey City. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not from Karachi. Can I do what, what I sort of want? And when her vision comes to her in this amazing dream sequence with, mm-hmm. with I don't know, Iron Man holding otter bunnies or whatever is going on here <laughs> and and the exchange if you don't mind me going for a, a quote out of the book sure, uh, ahead, trying not, not to spoil too much uh where captain america is saying to her you know you, you thought that if you disobeyed your parents your culture your religion your classmates would accept you what happened instead and kamala says they they laughed at me Zoe thought that because I snuck out, it was okay for her to make fun of my family. Like Kamala's finally seen the light and kicked the dumb, inferior brown people and their rules to the curb. Mm-hmm. That's, that is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and she continues. <laughs> no, I, 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 I will keep going here. But you know, it's, it, it's not the... Uh, here, I, well, um, what the heck? Uh, that's not why I snuck out. It's not that I think... Uh, Ami and Abu are dumb. It's just, I grew up here. I'm from Jersey City, not Karachi. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know who I'm supposed to be. Captain Marvel says to her, who do you want to be? Right now, I want to be beautiful and awesome and butt-kicking and less complicated. I want to be you. (laughs) And that's just lovely. Mm -hmm. And in an age where a lot of our heroes are not as heroic as they should be, that we now have a character that's a, the, perhaps the first time a legacy to another female hero. Mm-hmm. We're breaking barriers over there as well. This is a really special book, and I hope there aren't mm. that people who don't have not ever tried a comic book try this one. That the people who are thinking, "Oh, it's a girl here. I don't want to do that," or "This is this is a a Muslim hero. I don't want to try that. I don't want to do this." Try this book. If you're not in love with this book, hell, I'll pay for your copy. Well, Marvel was tweeting like all last week that um, they'd been getting tweets and uh, all kinds of responses from women and other people that had never been in a comic shop. And they went in specifically uh, just to buy this book. And it's already been announced that it's going back for a second printing. Yes, so I, saw I that. hope That's... that warms your heart a little bit. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> it's uh, it's rid of some of the curmudgeon. Yeah, <laughs> obviously not for this book. <laughs> it's it's awesome here, and I'll well, pass it along in a second. But I want to say that I that that want to be less complicated mm-hmm. is like it's a it's a it's a beautifully simple you know phrase, but it's something that is I think so prevalent in everyone you know because there I think everyone has that moment where they just wish that their brain would stop and they wouldn't be so, you know, inside their head and thinking about 6,000 things and, and, you know, wanting things in the, in equal measure with not wanting them. I think that it's a, that's, that's a very literary, you know, thing to use in just a simple way. And and I really, really love that. Um, uh, Steve, uh, what did you think of the book? Ah, well, what can I say that Bob hasn't already said? Um, I mean, it was, most certainly. I mean, I read a lot of great stuff this week, but uh, Miss Marvel was was wonderful. And one of the, I mean, Bob touched on so many of, of the great aspects of it. But one thing that I'll add is um, I love the, the moment in the book where her heroes basically appear to her when Iron Man and Captain America and Captain Marvel show up. And they appear to her as symbols of faith. And... Yes. 
I think it it says a lot about the character, but I think it also says a lot about readers and how characters can sometimes like they they become personal and these people do become your heroes and in certain respects certainly in a, in a in a literary sense these people are our heroes and we do place our faith in these in these characters and in these stories and i love the idea that in those moments that g willow wilson through the character uh, it for me anyway it explores that theme, and aside from the, you know the the way that you can identify with the character and the art is just absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. colors, the line, everything about it. Uh, I love how playful it is. I love those those almost like the far away shots that you get of the characters where their faces are just, their eyes are two dots and their mouth is just this little, you know, blip on their faces. It it comes off as, as very cute, but very, you know, pleasing to the eye at the same time. But um, I just, I think it's about damn time that a character like this has, has come along and has been as well received uh, as she's been this past week. I know there were a couple of naysayers, but the excitement and the people that were proud of this book and were like blown away by it far outweighed the negative. I mean, the negative almost doesn't even, it's a very small corner yeah. of, of the reception of this book. Yeah. And um, it just, it, the book has me very excited for what's to come and hopefully can even knock down a few more doors in diversity for comics in general. And I hope that a couple of other companies or even more more creators take note of just that you can take a chance on a character like this. And if you you research it and you write from the heart and you do it really well, that there's a chance that that character will succeed and you can open up a lot of eyes um, for people that might not have been reading comics beforehand that this touched on a, you know, with a, a certain audience that they are now not maybe not comic book readers, you know, all out, but they are now reading a comic book where they were not before. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really hoping that this book can do that. Yeah. I just, I just hope like, I mean, I, those are amazing things and I want all of those too, but like, I just hope that, you know, there's not this sense of greed over um, the success of it. Like people don't just start willy nilly throwing diversity into books for the sake of it. And then they wind up being like, Catwoman, like the first issue or whatever, you know, like they just need to be thoughtful teams that get put together for these new pioneering series. You know, I think readers see through that, though. Hmm. If if someone is just kind of hopping on the bandwagon of quote unquote diversity, I think people know can pick up on that pretty quickly as readers. I think so as well. I think we've grown, um, you know, enough to kind of and we are i mean our poll lists have grown enough that we don't want to be seduced into things that are clearly just trying to be money grabbers you know yeah um, absolutely I I, mm-hmm. I I just i want the best for um this progression and i just i i, I don't want people to do it as a money grab i just want them to be like you know even if it takes another year for I don't know, a woman to be the front runner of a book and be awesome. Like 
that's still progress to put another book out there. And if it takes a year to find a creative team that will do something justice, like I just want quality over quantity. Well, of course. I mean, and but I think the the the, the, hmm. the fact of it is though is that once once we get to the point where <laughs> there's as much, um, I guess, disposable books with females as the leads as there are disposable books with males as the leads mm. then you've gotten to the point where everything is even right that's true because well, at a, cause a yes. certain point it doesn't it's it i mean and as kind of weird as this is to say because it seems almost negative it's that you want it to get to the point where it's not special anymore that mm-hmm. that this is happening right mm-hmm. that a book like miss marvel comes out and it's and it gets the attention and it gets the love it wants purely on the fact that it's just a great book you know, all new Captain Marvel, all new Cap- uncanny Miss Marvel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know what I'm saying? That, uh, that, but that's, but as much as that's kind of the, maybe, you know, it's both the, what makes comics last and what also makes us complain about them so much. It's mm-hmm. kind of what you want, right? You don't want, you want to get to the point where it's like, oh, it's another female book. You know, that's just the way things are. You're not even saying that anymore. It's just another book. But Stephanie, I mean, other than kind of the long-term um, fate of the book and what happens in its wake, what did you think of the book itself? I really loved it. I mean, I spoke a little bit earlier about how disappointing X-Men was for me. So I went into this, you know, with a grain of salt, kind of not expecting it to be great, but wanting it to be great. But, you know, um, keeping the bar kind of medium, Mm -hmm. I guess. (laughs) Um, And it was just everything I wanted to be. I love Adrian Alfano's art, like from Runaways. And I have like some of his prints that eventually I'll get around to putting up here. But you know, he's just a fantastic artist and he did the characters so much justice. There's just so much like not even diversity in the sense of like color and stuff like that, but like body shapes and just the characters are their own characters. They're individuals. And I love that. Like it's everyone has its own look. And, you know, once you've kind of established who everyone is, there's no, you know, ands, ifs or buts about who you're looking at. Um, it's, it's wonderful. The characters were so endearing and Kamala just embodies what it's like to be a teenager and not just a Muslim teenager for me. Like she's relatable as a teenager period. Mm -hmm. Like she just radiates that awkward, horrible phase where we're all just wanting to be accepted, but spoiler alert, everyone, no one has ever really accepted even the popular kids. They have issues. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, she's fighting with that whole thing where she doesn't know where she fits into the grand scheme of things, but that's okay. She's a kid. And you see that struggle where she wants to be an adult, but, you know, like it, it's just, it was perfect. And it just encapsulated so much of what I think, like, we all felt at one point in time or another. Mm-hmm. It, it that especially that bit where you know i was never like a popular kid in school i don't think maybe i don't know if i'm speaking to you know what you guys did but you, it, it i don't think any of us like we're like we're all geeks like it's rare for one of us to be like i was popular in high school <laughs> and i mean I, i'm sure that's stereotyping a bit mm-hmm. but still you guys know what i mean mm-hmm. absolutely um and that moment where she's just like wanting to see the good in the popular person because she wants to fit in i remember those moments so well you just want to find like you you don't see the snark you don't see the bad because they're talking to you and you want them to be your friend and 
she just caught so much of everything that this character should stand for as a person before she becomes a superhero. Yeah, absolutely. D- absolutely. Um, and I, I wrote that actually, I was writing notes about what I was going to talk about tonight. And, and that's one of the things I wrote, which is that I love that it's, it's a book about a teenager that can be read by teenagers and they can get, you know, something out of, of what's going on in her experiences. You know, I think, I don't know where I read it. I don't remember if it was on our forums or on our site or, on, or just on Twitter or Facebook in general, but there was someone talking about, you know, they, they had their, their child read it and they immediately started asking questions about why, why, if she's from America, why does she feel like she's an outsider? You know, and why does why are people treating her differently? Yeah, it was Chris, <clears throat> Christian on our forums. It was Christian, right? Yep. Okay, yeah. So I couldn't remember. I know I read it, and I, that 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 sentiment stuck out to me so much. It's it, all week I've been thinking about what he wrote there because that to me is what what good art always does. You know, it makes you question you know what your world and it makes you see your world in a different way and this this child is going to grow after i've read this book and having those words that are said to the child might stick with them for their entire lives you know they might not remember the book but they remember the lessons that they learned when they were younger and these this book helped to incite those lessons at all i think that that's a, a wonderful wonderful thing and just like i'll say for the last time here because i think it, it, it happened to be the most reading this book i forgot i was reading anything to do with superheroes in the middle of it, to the point where when the Terrigen Mist showed up, I was it was almost jarring to me because I was like, "Oh right, this is this is a Marvel book right, yeah. that has to do with all of the stuff that's been happening in the Marvel universe for the last you know four or five, four or five months." Uh, you know the the writing is obviously top notch, and what I love about it, and I, and I and I what I've even though Stephanie, I was kind of being devil's advocate when you're talking about you know the the cash grab and stuff like that. This book feels like it is it comes from an organic place that it was written because it needed to be written by this person and not because it was just, you know, a, a line to tick off. And, you know, I don't even know the origin of the book. I, I So I don't know if, if it was an idea that came from Marvel first and they found G. Willow Wilson. But it, it was. It oh, was. Yeah. It doesn't feel like that to me. It feels like this book was born out of an, a writer's imagination mm-hmm. specifically. And, mm-hmm. and whether wherever the idea comes from, the fact that the, that the, the actual product feels that genuine – I think is is really really impressive. Well, I think we need to speak to also the editor here, yes. Sana Amanat, mm-hmm. and I believe some of this is from her. Where, whether she first reached out to G Willow Wilson, a mutual attraction, so to speak, mm-hmm. where it was just the right time and critical mass was reached for this. Mm-hmm. But this was just put together with so much love from across the board. Steve Wacker, I think, started this right. process, yeah. mm-hmm. and so he's still you know editor Demetrius. Emeritus. Why do I always say that? <laughs> but it is. You read the letters at the back, and they're yeah. gorgeous. And you know the people who got the previews of this, and just speaking about how this book touches them, including Sana's mom, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, this is a book that needed to come out, mm-hmm. and it just hadn't yet. And now here it is. Now the one thing I have to say for a book like Ms. Marvel here, when you're talking about someday down the road, there can be mid-level books and awful mm-hmm. books and all the rest of it. Right now, in this, we are changing as we spoke to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marissa bef- uh, before or, and later. Later. <laughs> in that, as in 1947, when Jackie Robinson broke into the major mm-hmm. leagues, any player who came up from the Negro Leagues had to be the best right. and great to, to stick. And you couldn't have a mediocre shortstop mm-hmm. coming out of those leagues because he'd get 
he'd ruin everything for everybody. Right. Well, this is a book that is the best it can be. Mm-hmm. That it sets the bar high. Yeah. But it puts it in a place where oh, we can do this too. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's so important. Yeah, and I want to say too. I mean, we're talking about very like serious things and what it means. The book is delightfully charming yes. and, and, and funny, and at times very whimsical. In and around this this stark realism that we're talking about, the way that the characters' relationships and the way she deals with her problems, I mean, some of the I just love some of the language. The fact that the first page has the the phrase "infidel meets" on it, <laughs> the, the easy greasy bacon sandwich, really makes me laugh. And I love they call that you know the character the concern troll. I, that she's such a real person because I you know I knew that girl in high school. Yeah, you know, I, and I love the way she's that 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 the phrase. She's nice to, to be, be mean. mean. I wrote that one down myself. It's so perfect. It's it, that's a real that's that's so real, you know. And it, I love it's doing all these great things, but because I, you know the the writer obviously has great confidence in who she has is as a writer. It's not showing these things off. It's it's the story that it, it is, and it just happens to do these things very very well. And I think that's very impressive. Steve, we haven't heard from you in a while. Do you have anything you wanted to add? Well, I actually just wanted to to make a comment. Um, Suzanne was. Um, obviously our contributor who wrote the review and I actually wanted to speak about something that I read in her review. Uh, you said that you had some concerns about it being a little too inside baseball for some readers. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to say that as a reader that through comics, I've, I've had the opportunity to read about a couple of different cultures, um, religious backgrounds and what have you. Like when I, when I read Craig Thompson's blankets uh, was, you know, a really deep look into Christianity and such. And the stuff that might be considered inside baseball, I found that I really, really enjoyed it because not only am I enjoying the book and the character and the story, but it gives readers the opportunity to be exposed to a culture that they might not know very much about and might not know some of the terminology that I actually had to go and look up a few of the terms. And by doing that and by going the extra mile to do that, I get to learn about a whole other culture. And I think that that, that the, the fact that the book is kickstarted that is is a really cool uh, addition to, to the, the fun that you can have with it, mm. if that's your thing. Mm. Huh. You know, I, I guess from my perspective, I just never would have thought that would have been an appeal of the book. Mm. Um, I love it. I didn't think that this book would get any attention. I mean, besides the fact that it was a diverse character. And I, I was shocked that it went to second printing. I was just like, people want to read about a girl from New Jersey who's Pakistani and Muslim when <laughs> in a lot of our, you know, popular media, that's pretty much looked over, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And um, some of the some of the cultural stuff that comes up in the book, if, if, you ever, if you ever have the pleasure of speaking to someone about that who's not from the culture, sometimes people look at you like you have three heads, you right. know? Um, so it, you know, it, it's a really refreshing thing that people actually have enjoyed some of the cultural aspects to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I Stephanie, mean, the yeah. publicity, just speaking on that, like, I, I don't think I've heard anything since pre the book coming out, you know, like it was very, Oh, first Muslim superhero. Oh, this and that. Oh, la la la. But like, since it's been released, I don't think I've heard this is such a good female-centric comic. I've just heard straight up, it's a great comic. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it has, mm-hmm. so far from what I've heard, which is fantastic, you know, that it just, 
it has nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman and she's, you know, not white. It, it just, everything I've heard is just, it's good writing and good art, which is exactly what it should be. Mm-hmm. That is exactly mm-hmm. why someone should pick up this book and not for any other reason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, plus, rainbow toots. Yeah. <laughs> killed me I and like look. seriously I can relate to any character that longs for bacon like that yeah. <laughs> 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 absolutely absolutely I mean um, you know we, we mentioned on the forums um, uh, one of our listeners started a, a Miss Marvel a more Miss Marvel section and I wanted to read a couple of the the oh, excerpts cool. from those um, this is from Michael K and he says um, I thought it was a good first issue Alphona and his colorist nailed the visuals it looks great Wilson fills the story with a lot of cultural references that really define the, this character as a non-traditional mainstream comics protagonist. I liked it, though I also felt that there was a lot of information all at once. I have several pretty liberal Muslim friends, and some of the stuff I, I understood and laughed at right away. And I'm willing to take some time to get comfortable with the writer's tone and approach to fill in the blanks on things I didn't immediately understand. We get to meet the supporting cast quickly, and while I liked the dialogue and the banter, I thought there were some borderline stereotypes being overexploited. We'll see. There's a young, adult approach to this story, which I think will serve it well, as long as Wilson and her team can challenge some of the trope stereotypes. As of right now, I trust her, and I'm looking forward to the character's growth. Um, this is from Almeida77. It says, I think it was the perfect example of how a number one should be done. All your main cast and supporting introduced the basic setup of her normal life before throwing her into the unknown, establishing her personality so well, and showing she has a rebellious streak akin to her idol, and it was damn funny. I totally forgot I was reading a Marvel book, which, which was to its strength. Even down to the way the panels were constructed and lined just felt like those in charge at Marvel really let them do whatever the hell they wanted to do, and it turned out amazing. The best thing about the issue, though, was its humor. And though you all seem... Uh, um, uh, okay, so th- though people seem a little uneasy or unable to understand the cultural aspects displayed, that's where I found the best chuckles. I know probably as much as as you guys about Muslim about the, about Muslims, but you don't need to know anything to read. It's all there. It's in the way they interact, not in what they're saying. Anyway, book of the week without a doubt. Um, and I'm sorry I don't have Christians. I feel like it wasn't in the Miss Marvel section. I think it was in another section of, of might the be in book of the week. It might be in book of the week. I got I got to look it up, and I'll, I'll try to actually try to find it now. Uh, while while we're talking here, um, but we had a lot of great discussions there. I mean, it was it was really nice to see people going back and forth. Um, Bob, I don't have anything else you want to say about the book. Oh, sure. Speaking to the humor of this and how it is so instantly relatable to everyone, since we were all kids and teenagers and fighting the battles. The scene around their dinner table has been played out in every sitcom mm-hmm. ever made for the last sixty years, and it's come on, I'm sixteen. I promise I won't do anything stupid. Don't you trust me? And, <laughs> I'll, can I be excused? Yes, you're excused straight to your room. <laughs> He's all—all all her parents want is for her to have the best. Now I don't know how many people actually read the point one uh, introduction to the character that mm-hmm. actually takes place after. Yeah, where she's fighting a giant trash monster, you know, and her lovely voiceover about sometimes you just have to take out the trash, and she shows back up at a party smelling of, you know, gasoline and old tuna fish and, and whatever. And her parents are, what are you doing? You're grounded. And it's all so literally real. And as all great comics are, what, what really has to happen is the civilians have to be as engaging and entertaining as the superheroes. It doesn't work if all you are is a super suit and punching. Mm-hmm. And I would read... 
issues if she never became Ms. Marvel, mm-hmm. frankly. I, I, I'm looking so forward to that based on the little snippet we had in, in the point one, point now, all new, whatever. But these characters are speaking to me, and I've read all of 30 pages. Mm-hmm. And it's as if I've known them before. They're just that real and, and substantial in just a few words. Whether it's Zoe's little, you know, nice to be mean sort of waving. But then when you see her at the party and you see the, the two beefy football guys acting like all the jerks we've ever seen at parties, instantly recognizable. These are people we've all seen, we've all known, we've all been. Wow, great stuff. Suzanne, help me out here. <laughs> I'm starting to ramble because this book is so great. You know, I, I'm I'm very thankful that this book wasn't just, you know, trying to have a person of color who's of a different background. This was fun, you yes. know, and this was instantly kind of this charming coming-of-age story. And so it's not going to work if it doesn't feel authentic and it doesn't feel like a book that, you know, has a lot of heart to it. So, you know, for me, that tipped it over um, past just representation and and, um, feeling like we've checked off the box of more female comics, Mm -hmm. you know, female-led comics. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great way to to end our our discussion about um, Miss Marvel, uh, number one, Um, you know, you guys keep writing in and keep posting on the forums, you know, uh, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com and at Talking Comics on Twitter. Um, and please, you know, if you like the review, uh, Suzanne wrote, make sure you comment on, on those stories and, and have conversations there because it's, it's a great place to talk to the people who are actually um, writing the articles. Uh, kind of spinning off of this Miss Marvel discussion, I know Stephanie had something she wanted to talk about that's going on in Emerald City, correct? Yeah, exactly. Well, technically before Emerald City. Okay. I suspect Bob might know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. but um, uh, the... Carol Corps are holding a celebration and that's going to be at the Museum of Flight uh, in Seattle on Thursday, March 27th from 7pm till 10pm. Um, so Kelly Sudakonik is going to be there, G. Willow Wilson and Christopher Sabella. Um, so obviously uh, with your price of admission, you get to mingle with the creators and uh, meet other people who are fans of these comics that we rave about like all the time Hmm. um and they get to check out the exhibits at the museum of flight so the museum of flight my understanding is it's getting closed um i think it is closed like when the event is on but if you buy your ticket you have an all-day admission into um the museum so you can go check it out before the party starts but it's going to have like uh appetizers desserts and beverages with your ticket um and it's, you know, the, the thing says it's designed to celebrate Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel and connect the fans. Um, cosplay, creativity, and enthusiasm is highly encouraged. And they've partnered with uh, Emerald City and We Love Fine to produce a Captain Marvel at the Museum of Flight t-shirt, oh, which cool. will be available at the event or um, on the ticket website. You can purchase it in combination. So you can, like, it's um, $20 for a regular admission, which, again, includes the admission into the museum, or it's $40 for the T-shirt and admission. Um, There's also um, 
Kate Leth, who uh, does Cater Die, and she has worked on Adventure Time with Fiona and Cake. Um, she's doing an, uh, a patch, like an art patch that you can buy, um, which is only available at the event. And let me see if there's anything. Oh, and by the way, all the money that's being raised here, all of the proceeds are going to the Girls Leadership Institution. So Awesome. All of this is getting donated to charity. It's 16 and over, unfortunately. So um, if you do not, if you are not um, of that age, you will not be able to attend, unfortunately. I don't know if it's like if you have a parent, maybe it's fine. But I'd ask Kelly Mm. Sue via Twitter or somewhere if maybe that's a possibility, if it's applicable to you Mm -hmm. that you're under 16. Anyways, (laughs) there's also apparently a bar. A cash bar, <laughs> if you're over 21. Which is probably why. Yeah. <sighs> but yes. anyways, that was a lot of information, but I'm just kind of reading it off of here. Um, if you're looking to buy a ticket to that event, um, Kelly Sue has posted all kinds of stuff on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, her Tumblr about it. But the website to buy the tickets, in case you want to just bypass all of that, all the information is there. Uh, it's brownpapertickets.com. Brown paper tickets, all one word. And then it's backslash event. And then, oh, wow, it's just numbers. Ugh. We'll put, we'll put a link in the show notes. We will do that. Yeah. <laughs> just ignore me. But it's on brown paper tickets. And I'm sure if you search for Carol Corpse Celebration on brownpapertickets.com, it'll come up. But awesome. we'll also post a link. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to say, because I, I found the post from Christian that I oh, wanted great. to actually read it, the one that I, like, I paraphrased before. And we'll close that out. And then we'll move on to the new releases. He said, great first issue. Pick this up. Uh, from my 11-year-old daughter after I asked the board for its recommendation, received a recommendation from Uncle Ryer. I picked <laughs> it up, I read the book, enjoyed the characters, and really appreciated the story. Sat my little girl down to have a grown-up conversation about Islam, alcohol, and drugs. She's reading it right now. During that conversation, I realized my little girl is growing up fast. Let me say this. I picked the comics back up a couple years ago with the New 52. Two years later, I just read a comic that made me sit down and have maybe my first adult conversation with a little girl who I realize is growing up faster than I am. Wow. Um, so it's fantastic. Um, really great to hear that. Um, he followed up saying that she loved it and she asked lots of thought-provoking questions about Islam and why Kamala doesn't feel American even though this is her home. These are topics I'm glad a comic is being written in which I can discuss with my daughter. It sure beats the hell out of the question I was getting about Supergirl, like, why is Supergirl's costume getting smaller and smaller in every issue? <laughs> um, so thank you very much. And guys, head over to the forums too. You know, There's a link right on the site you, you, the, for the forums. Um, join up and join in with these great conversations that a lot of our listeners are having. It's been really great. To, I, I read it every single day. I just go on and I read um, like everything everybody's posting. It's been, it's been fantastic. Um, all right, let's, let's talk about what's on the shelves uh, right now. From Avatar Press, we have Crossed Badlands, number 47. We've got Gravel Combat Magician, number one, and Stitched, number 19. From Boom Studios, we've got Hawk and Melee, number five. Protocol Orphans, number four. Regular Show Skips, number four. Sons of Anarchy, number six. And Robocop, To Live and Die in Detroit, number one. From Dark Horse Comics, we have Abe Sapien, number 10. We've got Clown Fatale, number four, Creepy Comics, number 15, Star Wars, number 14, and X, number 10. Um, From DC Comics, we have Astro City, number nine, Batgirl, number 28, Batman, number 28, Batman Lil Gotham, number 11, Coffin Hill, number five, 
Constantine, number 11, Forever Evil Rogue's Rebellion, number 5, Green Lantern Corps, number 28, Injustice Year 2, number 2, we've got Justice League 3000, number 3, Justice League of America, number 12, we've got Nightwing, number 28, Royal Masters of War, Royals Masters of War, number 1 of 6, um, we've got Smallville Season 11, Alien, number 3, um, we've got Suicide Squad, number 28, Superboy, number 28, and Superman Wonder Woman, Number five, uh, from Dynamite, we have Battlestar Galactica, number eight, Grimm, number ten. Uh, we've got Legendary, a steampunk adventure, number two. We've got um, Sherlock Holmes, Moriarty Lives, number two. Red Sonja, Berserker, one shot. We've got Uncanny, number six, and Vampirella, Southern Gothic, number five. From IDW, City, The Mind and the Machine, number one. Um, from uh, we got Max Maximize, number four. Memory Collectors, number three. My Little Pony, um, oh, a one, $1 edition of Friendship is Magic, number one. Um, we've got Transformers. Robots. Yes, in disguise. <sighs> oh, I'm <hot>. Number 26. <laughs> I'm on fire. Um, X-Files, season 10, number nine. From Image Comics, we have Egos, number two. Fatal, number 20. Um, Fuse, number one. Great Pacific, number 13. Manifest Destiny, number four. Mercenary C, number one. Spawn, number 240. Ten Grand, number seven. Think Tank number 12 and Walking Dead number 121. From Marvel Comics, we have All New X Factor number 3, All New X Men number 23. We've got Avengers number 26, Avengers AI number 8 point now. We've got um, Deadpool number 23. We've got. We need more Avengers. Kick Ass 3 <laughs> number 6. We've got Marvel Knights X Men number 4. We've got um, Revolutionary War Death's Head 2, number 1. Uh, we've got Savage Wolverine, number 14 point now. Secret Avengers, number 15. She-Hulk, number 1. Woo! Superior Spider-Man, number 27 point now. Thor God of Thunder, number 19 point now. We've got um, Winter Soldier, The Bitter March, number 1. Um, Wolverine the X-Men, number 41. And X-Force, number 1. And X-Men Legacy, number 24. From Oni Press, we have Bunker, number one, Letter 44, number four, and Sixth Ooh. Gun, number 38. Um, from Valiant, we have Eternal Warrior, number six, and Harbinger, number 21. And from Zenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Tales Presents, Robin Hood, Age of Darkness, Wonderland, number 20, and Clash of Queens, number one. So that is what's on the shelves right now. Um, if you guys want to get in touch with all of us personally, uh, my Twitter is at Bobby Shortall. Steve. Mine is at dead underscore anchorus. Stephanie? I'm at hello cookie. Bob, your email address? Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. And Suzanne, how can people get in touch with you? Or she's not here? <laughs> oh, did we... Sorry, guys. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm on Twitter, and it's at gcpd underscore Sawyer. Okay. Wow. <laughs> cool. That's me. All right. Yeah. Nice. That's a cool Twitter handle. Thanks. Um, obviously, look for Suzanne's um, reviews and articles up on TalkingComicBooks.com. Um, guys, just so you know, we have an interview coming up um, on uh, Friday um, with the director of She Makes Comics. Um, it's a Kickstarter going on right now. Um, we're going to put a link to it, and you guys will, will see. But we, tweet, we tweeted about it uh, today. Um Tune in on Friday for that interview because um, it was really, really great um, and a lot of great information. And I think some of you guys will get pretty excited about um, 
especially if you listen to the show, because it's something that I, I think is right up all of our Melissa, alleys. Oh, sorry. Melissa actually wrote up a big post about it today as well. Oh, she did. Awesome. Yep. She did a big thing about it. It just went up now. But, you know, that'll be time travel by the time you guys hear this. It's been up for so, hours already. It's been up for days. <laughs> um, oh, but getting vertigo. She did a lovely write up about it. So it's on the site already if you want more information. Awesome. That's great. Um, so stay tuned, guys, for that. Uh, but until then, that is all for the Talking Comics podcast. Uh, for Bob. Out of here. Steve. Ciao. Stephanie. And Suzanne. Later. I've been Bobby. <laughs> Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued.